awesome built surfboards. So, you know, it, it we sacrifice a familiarity and a campfire or bar room atmosphere for longevity. So I believe that if we are more focused on the guest and try to detach ourselves from the conversation, it allows us to perpetuate because we're only giving this much of ourselves. So over a hundred episodes, you won't get the whole pie. But if it was more casual, all of us talking as a group, 25 episodes in, you've heard every story I've got. None of us are that interesting. Yeah, I, we're very aware that a lot of our audience know uh, a lot about me and Andy. <laughs> Isn't it weird, too? Like, we're all just so normal. But there are people out there that they've listened. They've I've never met them in person, but they've heard me talk for two yeah. years. And they know mm -hmm. things about me and my personality or stories. I don't even remember what I told on last week's episode. Uh, we'll have some where I'm telling something Austin awesome goes, you talked about that two weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, okay, we'll edit that out. And we're heavily edited too. And so, uh, but there's somebody out there who's never met me, listens to me every, you know, once a week on their car ride in and know me pretty intimately. And it's almost kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've just got to hope that they're, they're one of the nice people when they do right, something. Right. <laughs> Yeah, the kind that send you money in the mail and not sit outside your house <laughs> waiting to wear your face. I think I, I, I think the style the styles of podcasts certainly within the maker community. I mean, you can extend it beyond. I mean, I've got, I've got about 120 podcasts in my catalog, um, some of which are kind of waiting to listen to. So there's probably about 110 that are in my kind of yeah that those are the ones i listen to some i'm I, I still have many episodes to listen to and back catalogs some i'm fully up to date with like yours and the the variety of style i think is it's just sort of testament almost to the, the variety within the maker community you know there are those there's a few that i listen to that's like it's two people and it's two people they just talk to each other about what they've been doing for the last week or the last month if they've had a bit of a break and it's just not it's just nice getting to actually like you say getting to know those people never get there's some of them i'll never meet yeah there's there's a bunch of them i'll, I'll never meet them yeah they're just i don't even I've, i kind of follow them on instagram but i don't really interact with them on instagram partly because of the way that the the algorithm doesn't feed their stuff through to me and they're not as maybe forward in my mind as others other people are that i might go looking for uh but it's just nice to kind of get that hear those people it's just a conversation between them and it's just the same two people then there are the, the guest ones and yeah I, I particularly like your podcast and, and the way that you kind of have those sort of segments you have a little chat what you've been up to and then it's into the guest and you're not just chatting generally to the guest because so many i mean what we do yeah slightly different again <laughs> but yeah Carnage. most yeah most most guest interviews kind of focus on the same questions and it's the same stuff and yeah i i could be a stand-in for jimmy deresta because i've heard so many of the same interview for jimmy deresta and bob claggett and you know, your the fact that you kind of focus on you know one or two projects or it's not necessarily projects but you you, you have a focus you've got a laser focus on, on what you want to talk about 
and and it's exactly the reason that you said uh i didn't want so you know i'm i'm not anyone special i've got a little bit of a following but nothing i'm not jimmy the by far you know i'm not jimmy the shoes he his shoes would have a bigger account than i've got we were looking so we sat down christine austin wanted to do a podcast and and i volunteered myself to join them and then so we kind of sat down and we're like well what's the theme gonna be you know what how are we gonna do this because my whole thing was i can't give you time and we do the same thing that someone else could listen to somewhere else because the reality is you know austin's an extremely talented person and christy is a very social person and so those are great qualities and i'm really lacking on both of those uh, I could talk to anyone, but I don't want to talk to anyone. And I could make anything I want, but I don't want to give the time to do that. And so I'm like, how do we separate ourselves from everyone else? And that's when we said, well, look, we can't interview someone. And it's the same story that they were able to tell on a previous podcast. Yeah. In 77 episodes, I think we've had two that no matter what question we asked, the guest had a script and they just dove back into their script. Outside yeah. of that, we've been really successful on getting unique perspectives out of people. Uh, it, it comes sometimes, again, at the sacrifice of the funny story that they like to tell every time or the one thing everyone, you know, the catchphrase type conversation. We just don't have it. And you're right, so the focus on bigger makers is to get them out of their comfort zone. We want to only talk about specific mm. projects. And that's kind of like, let's get behind the, check under the hood, see how the motor works. What were they thinking to do this? But if we have a guest that's maybe lesser known, we'll, we will take kind of the easy way. And we tell them from the beginning, we don't care about your you know, high school prom or, or who you went to homecoming with or what your first job was out of school. We just want to hear about your, your journey. And we start there. But it's, it's worked out really well for us. And I'll I tell you what else. We do the what have you been up to and the third section. We're not interview only. Uh, one day I was thinking, I just have these epiphanies sometimes. And it's like, you know, who are famous interviewers you know you've got all the late night shows you've got the howard stearns the, the folks like that and the audience is coming back for them for the interviewer and i said so Definitely. if we're making a commitment that we're not going to inject our lives into the interview process then we need to find some way to give something so that even if the interview misses the mark they come back every week because they're wondering what we've been up to and want to hear us talk so some we have some listeners that tell us, you know, they skip all the way to the end and they only listen to the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I tell people all the time, you'll never you'll never catch me. And I say, well, if you would listen to episode 55, you would know that if you tell me I'm too busy to listen to your podcast, that's the best case scenario, because that means you're you're being active, you're living your life, you're doing things. Now, we put it out for people to listen to. But from my perspective, like, look, like you said, you had 100 podcast to listen to i'm a very brand loyal person myself and once my queue's full that's it there's no room for new and that's not a place i like to be so yeah. if you're too busy listening to me that's fine i mean i'm i'm happy to say that i still haven't got around to listen to you guys <laughs> no problem no problem at all jamie <laughs> i heard y'all talk about uh talk about us maybe two weeks ago i think it was maybe the neurodiversity episode or the one after um, and, and I haven't listened to all of y'all's and yeah, yeah, I, I, we've got, we've got, I mean, <laughs> we, we do stupidly long podcasts and yeah, I, I, it. that's a unique thing though. So what it does is the format and the waffle, it does the same thing that we do by drilling down yeah. is you never know where it's going to end up. Yeah. I've, oh, totally. I've yeah. had some of y'all's on 
just while I'm doing other things. I'm, you know, I'm working on an Adobe document or something and I'm editing and I stop. I'm like, how did they get here? What <laughs> winding road did they take to get here? How if it's any here, consolation, right? that's exactly where we are with it as well. <laughs> how, how did we get to this topic? <laughs> and how did we get from this one to this one? <laughs> the other thing, and I, I think it's just a geographic type distinction. Y'all are very polite and purposeful in the cadence of your conversations. They have a certain speed to them. And whereas you, you pause an R, somebody's coming in on top of you. And so we have to, we have hand signals where we let other people know as soon as this last breath is out, I'm coming in. And then even when we edit, I edit breaths out because, you know, we are, we've kind of come around that our goal was always an hour and 15 minutes, but we've had a few where maybe we went a little too long with the guests. It was all good stuff and we could have gone another hour, but it leaves what our uh -huh. mission statement is. So we're going to try to narrow down the interview portion and get back under an hour. And then that way I know people listen to it faster, you know, one and a half speed. They can maybe get one of our episodes out in a car ride to work or something. I th and I think that's, I think that's where most podcasts kind of sort of aim for. I think that commute, market and i know for us it's yeah I, we've had messages people say well that's my commute for the week sorted out <laughs> <laughs> well but, yes some podcasts yeah, are just fascist like I, I love hardcore history but once he drops an episode i'm so glad it's only once a year or, or once every six months because that's my next two weeks that's all i'm listening to is dan carlson i'm not listening to anybody else no books i hope the library lets me renew them because this is it for two weeks <laughs> I, I have been told about a particular podcast that I do need to apparently check out. And the episodes are usually somewhere in the region of six to 12 hours. Who, whose podcast is that? Who's that? I was going to say, whose is that? It's a, it's a psychology podcast. Yeah, George R.R. Um, R. Martin. I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, Joe, I mean, Joe Rogan does, I, I believe I wouldn't know because I've never actually listened to any of his podcasts, but I believe his average between three and five hours. Yeah, that's about where he falls in. And, you know, we don't need to get into the, the politics of Joe Rogan, but he's a great interviewer and in that people come back for his casual yeah. style. He gets people to get comfortable and say things that they wouldn't say on a news network. And uh, it, mm. it's it's crazy the places they go. The other thing, he both is self-admittedly not the smartest man. But he has somebody doing a lot of research for him because he he I'm not going to say he knows what he's saying, but he has lots of stuff to say. And uh, it, it's interesting. But another one, I don't listen to Joe Rogan because I, I uh, it's too much. I've got 12 friends with podcasts. Why would I give Joe Rogan one <laughs> listen when I can give my 12 friends each a listen? Yeah, you know, very, very solid point. I don't it's listen to Dave Matthews yeah. band either. You know, Dave Matthews has enough fans. He don't need me. Psychology in Seattle is that uh, that, that podcast. It, this, the bog standard episodes seem to be sensible length, but apparently the, the the Patreon episodes are like deep dives that can go on for days. I've never been to I... Seattle, but if it's like Portland, they could use all the psychology they can get. <laughs> <laughs> I was wanting to go to Seattle. I, th I think it was possibly you know, kind of just a bit like Frasier. I think it was probably Frasier. Sure. Mm. There was like yeah. There was also what else was it? Ah, uh, because Seattle's Oregon. Yep. Oh, Washington. 
Washington, but, right. but Washington, Oregon are next to each other. Right, because there was there used to be top left. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot long, long time ago when I was into sort of uh, backpacking, it'd be a great was, place to go. Uh, outdoor research, oh, a based kind of in that yeah. way, and their kit was really good. And I always used to think, I'm sure that if they're making kit like this, there must be a nice place to go walking. I've seen a few pictures and things. And thought, yeah, I'd like to go. I'd like to go there one day. That part of the country is beautiful, and I, I know where y'all are at is very diverse as well. But the U.S. is just so big that you can really find anything you want to look for. And that specific part of the U.S. is it's the way the mountain ranges work. It's very rainy, but it's not as cold as, you know, like Minnesota or something that's equally latitude, but yeah. it's on the other side of the mountains. So um, they get a lot of rain, but it also protects them from a lot of those fronts. And it, it, we went to Portland. I didn't care for the city much, but the state of Oregon was beautiful. And we went, zip lining and went to mount hood and uh did all that kind of nice. stuff hiked saw some waterfalls i like the outdoors um uh, i'm just physically not the fittest but my wife is in excellent shape and she also loves the outdoors so sometimes you do what your loved ones want you to do and so mount hood is uh, one of the biggest mountains in the u.s uh, and it's got a, a great ski culture and there's all these waterfalls all around it and so we go see mount hood and we leave the Columbia Rivers right there. And so the out the outfitter Columbia, that's where they're named after. They're from yeah. that part of the country as well. Uh, so we stop and, and there's this waterfall and we walk to the water. Well, my wife wants to walk and see this waterfall. So we park the car and we get a few hundred feet into the woods. And there's a sign that says uh, rock slide, trail close, go the other way. And the change in distance, it was one and a half miles and it went to seven miles because you're, you're walking around. <laughs> the mountain to get to this waterfall and she's like oh this will be great let's go and I'm like, we have no water we have no food i'm wearing jeans i'm like all right let's go yeah seven miles there and then seven miles back and there was a point where i'm like this is it this is where i die they find me <laughs> on this pile of rocks down here and there's sixth graders running past me in crocs and backpacks and and i'm planning out my funeral arrangements i'm like i'm just not gonna make it so she got to the waterfall. I eventually got there and it took me so long that she was ready to leave by like, she had seen all she wanted to see by the time <laughs> I got there. And so that was our last, we did another one. Um, Colorado is very outdoorsy place. And, and yeah. so there's a city North of Denver called Estes park. Uh, and they had a, a marathon. So my wife wants to run this marathon in Estes park. And I go, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll sign up for the 5k and we'll race. And whoever makes his finish line first wins. So I'm only running five kilometers and, and she's running a full marathon. And my race started an hour before hers or 30 minutes before hers. But that's, it was still like, if you looked at her splits and what it was going to take me to run the three miles, it was going to be close. And so I always joke, we've raced four times and I've beat her all four times. And that was one, but I ran three miles and, you know, she ran 26 and I had a half hour head start. It's the way to go. I I mean, I'm, I'm not in the fitness to do anything now either. But uh, I think the the last holiday we had together, my wife and I, before uh, our first child was born, my wife was actually pregnant at the time, and we went to Austria. She loved the place. It was in the summer. It was a stupidly hot summer. It, it was kind of like, yeah, there was like a few hundred people died across Europe because it was so hot. But it was yeah it was it was it was in the mountains it was yeah Austrian Tyrol it was it was it was lovely it was uh, yeah nice place to be I was like 
I mean, I've, I've always been kind of an outdoor guy, always kind of here, potting around in mountains and stuff like that. It was just like she was, you know, several months pregnant at this point, feeling the heat. It was just like I was being a dutiful husband and kind of, yeah, we'd go everywhere together. It was just like, I think it was the last but one day I said, I need to go up a mountain on my own. So we, we both went up. We took a, a, a chairlift up to the um, sort of the, yeah, sorry, a ski lift. Yeah, we took it up to the kind of top. And there was a restaurant. There was some nice things to walk around. And there was this crazy dog that had been shaved to make it look like it was a lion. Yeah, all the, all the sort of things you get. Yeah, it was, it was, it was nice. And it's like, right. I said, I will be back in four hours' time. And I'd kind of I'd been looking at the maps, kind of working out how far can I get in two hours, and then yeah. now two hours to get back. And I literally, well, I was the mad, yeah, mad Brit, running along the trails. I'm not never been much of a runner. A little bit, I've done a little bit of fell running, uh, but nothing, never any competitions. Just kind of, I want to get as far as possible as quickly as possible. And I was kind of, yeah, the people. Yeah, there were power walk, lots of power walkers with big long Nordic poles, and yeah, it's like and there was me kind of just literally pegging past them in this in the heat. It was about yeah, middle of the day, pretty much trying and to get as much like, vacation in as you could in two hours. Yeah, and I wanted to get the, the Tyrol is famous. Yeah, a lot of the peaks are really kind of yeah, they're pointy. Yeah, it's not like kind of they're not like big long ridges. There are some nice ridges, but there's there's quite a lot of pointy hills. It was like, you know, sort of right. Where's the what the pointiest, tallest hill I can get to in two hours from the sort of top of the ski lift? And it was like, just about did it. Got to the top, and there there wasn't much space at the top. And there was this German couple there who spoke hardly any English. In fact, no English. Middle-aged couple. I was there with very little German. Kind of yeah, having a conversation about how great the mountains were. And it was just like, and they were just like. Yeah, you're nuts. <laughs> and I sort of turned around and pegged back and got back, you know, just like, yeah. I, I think it was maybe about five minutes late. Yeah. Last thing I wanted was sort of German mountain rescue being called out. Isn't it, it was, amazing how sometimes waiting can be more painful than doing? You know, the, the waiting mm -hmm. for her to catch up is more frustrating than putting in the work. Mm. I, I quite often do that if I'm driving somewhere and hit hit traffic i'll i'll drive longer distance just to keep moving keep moving yeah rather than just sitting there even if it, even if i'm going to be about the same time arriving i'd rather just still be moving and doing something then yeah i've known people like that yeah yeah I'll do I mean, unless unless I'm, I'm actively going to be somewhere and do nothing it just if i'm intending to be doing something and then i'm stopped from it it just it feels weird I was trying to think of all the differences between the two cultures so that I don't say something and get myself in trouble. Um, and I, I think the accent covers you. You're fine. Well, yeah, I don't know if I get a pass. <laughs> I guess they couldn't find me. But driving and traffic were one. I, I was thinking about just uh, I, I've, I've never been to Europe. I've been to Australia and Mexico and, and South America, but I've never been to Europe. And I was I know you all pay a lot more for petrol than we pay for gasoline. But mm. I was also wondering, like, just driving habits, because. I drive like a madman, but we can. I mean, the roads are eight lanes wide. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, whereas a lot of our a lot of our roads are the, the width of one of your cars. So, okay, I, <laughs> I, I guess that's true. Maybe it is only in America. The size of the cars. We are in a – our house is 70 years old. I know that's a blip in your world, but there are new houses everywhere over here. 
our house is 70 years old. The neighborhood we like to go for, for dinner, it's, you know, a hundred plus years old and the roads, like how did they build roads for these cars in the twenties and thirties and forties and fifties? And then they expect two suburbans to drive down them or full size, full size trucks are, I don't know if y'all have full size trucks over here are obscene. They're yeah, I mean, we, we don't have anything like, you know, like your, your sort of 350s and stuff. It's, right. it's you know, you, you you want your F-150s about as big as we're going to get, you know, the, the odd sort of... You get the, you get the odd one on import. Stuff, but, I mean, I saw, yeah. I saw a Suburban a uh, couple of weeks ago. Uh, gone to pick up a car, actually, and you yeah, took a train up to... The town where it was walking from the train station to where i had to pick it up and it was just like what is that i mean it's just like one and a half times the size of anything else on the road well i, I suppose to, to give you an idea then that the like parking spaces over here the 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 legal requirement over here for, for the size of a parking space is only on a disabled space and that is uh, 2.4 meters wide, so eight foot wide by 16 foot long, and that's that's the legal definition for a disabled space. If it's a normal space, it can be less than that, and they can be six foot wide or less. And you hear 16 feet long, and you think that's big. Uh, I, I tell you, this might be something we we come back around to. I, I tell people all the time: the only reason I'm a woodworker is because that's the size of my shop you know you do mm. what you what you have the room to do if you're in a 3d mm. printing you probably like 3d printing but you probably also had a size a, a workspace that was about yeah. only big enough for 3d printers or noise uh, same thing with you know a lot of us a lot of people have lasers and stuff and they're in their garages if you don't have a garage a laser gets kind of hard because you have to vent it and, and do all kind mm. of other stuff and if my shop was two feet longer it's 20 feet 20 feet was not enough for me to pull a car in and be able to walk all the way around it. If it was yeah. two feet longer, I would be a mechanic and not a woodworker. I'd never touch the stuff. <laughs> and, and that was the deciding measurement. And so 16 feet sounds gigantic. You could park a car in 16 foot and you can only walk around one side of it because that's about all the space it needs. Well, this is, you know, this is just like, you know, car parks, you know, this is the, you know, when they measure and paint the lines for a bay, you know, that's the kind of the, the size of those. Um, you know, if you think that like some of the pickups that we do have, like the the, the trucks, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the big ones for us are things like Nissan Navaras and L two hundreds and things, which which are, are tiny compared to the stuff that you guys drive. But they are, yeah, yeah and they, but they they overhang the bays now. You know, so you quite often get you know sort of struggles even with the, the kind of the, like the legal minimums what genius do you think had the marketing idea to name the same cars different names in different parts of the country you know like I, i've never heard of a nissan navarro and it's probably something that's across the street but probably uh, yeah. yeah ranger is ranger here uh in f-150 is f-150 but especially the general motors products they were even rebadged as whole totally different products yeah. in yeah. europe uh, I, I don't know i don't know the onus behind that i would think if you were buying an american car and they had that American name behind me. Mean, Mercedes doesn't change their name. The same, you know, mm. E63 you buy over there is an E63 over here. I don't know what American had in his mind. He had to change the name for every car wherever he sold it. Well, I think because GM is 
uh, Opal, Vauxhall, mm-hmm. Holden. Yep. And I think there's something else in the US. No, Chrysler. No, it, no, the US. It's, no, it's uh, separate. It's a Chevrolet a Pontiac's the That's it. That's um, it. Okay, yeah. That was it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because the the it was the GTO. Because the, the sure Pontiac GTO. Yeah. So that um, it all feeds into the same pool across. You know. So that there is a like a Holden GTO. Because Holden is the Australian equivalent of the GM kind of right. fingers in the pies across the world. But even in, between the UK and Europe. So it would be an Opal in, you know, if you went and bought something from Germany, it would be an Opal badge. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah, it would be an Opal badge in the Frontier. In, I know what a Frontier is, yeah. In Europe, but it would be a, a, a Vauxhall over here. And it's, yeah, and, you know, it's, it's it's all the same the same vehicles. And we'll pull this back to making, but the one, uh, so I have a Land Cruiser. Um, we had a... I had a 94 Land Cruiser when I was younger and I got in a car wreck and walked away unscathed. The drunk driver hit me, totaled the car. And since then I've just had a passionate loyalty and, and they're big cars and I don't have kids. I've got some big dogs, we have some greyhounds, but uh, you can fit a lot of lumber in the back of it. And yeah. I, I think money, it's the best vehicle on the road today. In my opinion, having said that they make a Land Cruiser Prado. They don't sell that car here. Uh, they sell a Lexus GX 460. And it, yeah. it always irritated me. Like, I'm going to have to buy a Lexus next because they don't sell the Land Cruiser here anymore. I'm like, I'm really going to have to buy either a Lexus LX570 or a Lexus GX460. And I just can't bring myself for what I do with dogs and wood. And it's not a money thing. It's like, I'm going to tear this thing up. You know, the first week I had my yeah. Land Cruiser, I had orange paint on the seat belts because they they paint the ends of the boards so that they know the measurements of them or the, the mm. type of species. And that paint rubbed all over the seatbelts, and I never attempted to clean it off. I don't, I don't care. It's what it is for me. Um, but, you know, another one, tools. I always – I know you see all the Makitas back there, but I always like Bosch tools. And they don't sell a lot of Bosch tools in the U.S. that they sell in Europe. I don't know mm. if it's safety standards or I don't know if it's testing things, but Bosch has a, a tool with the blade stop system similar to a saw stop. And that's it's yeah. not available here. Yeah. And you would think, how could a safer saw not be available here? But it's not. Well, I, I think because I think if I remember rightly, Izzy had one. Um, because it was using a slightly different system with uh like two pressurized gas tanks that would stop the blade. And I, I think it was a um saw stop, put the kibosh on it. And it could be it could have been like a patent thing or you know, they yeah, had... yeah. I'm pretty certain it was that because I, I remember Izzy doing a video on yeah. it. Nothing um, like uh, commerce getting in the way of safety. Exactly. So I've and, heard the source stop people have been quite. Yeah, America built on a free market economy. Let's yeah, uh, cut down any competition. particular about attacking anyone that attempts <laughs> yeah. anything close to. Well, he was originally uh, he he was a patent lawyer, wasn't he? That yeah. was his first thing, and then he then he made source stop afterwards. So he just. I have a saw hmm. stop. Um, I went to upgrade. I had a craftsman job site saw it was i started making stuff in my whole life we made speaker boxes for cars and my dad was a very handy person but when i went to college is when i started buying your university it's when i started buying tools and i had a craftsman job site you know portable saw that a girlfriend had bought me for christmas one year and it was great i I used it for 20 years and i was building a cabinet and i'd go to put all the pieces together and they were all off 
None of the cuts were straight, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I look, and the fence just had grooves in it from just all the boards I had passed. The uh, aluminum had warped and bowed and, and just was not enjoying being a, a fence anymore. So I could have just got a new fence, but I, I we had lived here, and I had space. So I'm like, I want to buy a nicer saw. And I went and look uh, here at Lowe's. Uh, is a big box store. They sell a uh, Delta, which it's kind of like, you know, a rebranding of a cheaper tool, but mm -hmm. they have a Delta saw and then rigid is at home Depot. And, and they both had a nice four to $600 cabinet saw, you know, cabinet style saw. And so I'm like, I'm going to get one of these. And so we go look and the guy who put it together there just didn't do a good job. And I'm seeing all this flimsy stuff. And this is, you know, my impression is this flimsy floor room model. Mm -hmm. So I, I talked to my wife. I said, look, I think I want to get the jet. It's about $800 and they have them at, so we have like rocklers and woodcrafts and, and those are like the next tier more focused on woodworking and, and speciality store. Oh yeah. So I go to a, a woodcraft and uh, we're looking at the jet. It's $800. And my wife goes, what's this? And it's the saw stop and it's much nicer. Well, of course it's much nicer. It was more than double the price. And she's like, you know, tell me about this saw. This one's really nice. Like that one, I still don't see much difference between the five and the yeah. eight, but there's a huge step up. And my wife is the cheapest person you'll ever meet. And as soon as the salesman told her about the break, she said, you need to buy this saw. And so <laughs> some background, my wife's father's a machinist and his, his family has a machine shop. All him and his two brothers, they run this machine shop. And her whole life, she'd seen, you know, fingers get mangled and clothes get ripped mm -hmm. and torn and, and gashes on heads and hands. And she said, you need to get this because this is the kind of thing that happens. And then you're never the same. And what's, mm -hmm. what's the money? It's one hospital visit. And I, I couldn't believe yeah. she said it. And so I'm like, well, shit, if she's going to say, okay, I'm going to do it. And I bought the, the more expensive saw. I don't have the cabinet saw. I have the, the one right below it, but I got all mm -hmm. the cast iron wings for it and stuff. And it's, it's great. It changed the quality of my work. And everything was great. I think I bought that saw in 2017. And the first week of COVID lockdown, I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to batch out a bunch of Christmas gifts. Let's, let's just get started early. And I'm running cuts. And I'm thinking, this is literally what I'm thinking. How nice to be able to afford and have access to such a nice saw, to have access to such nice wood. I, I heard an episode a while back. You know, we do not make pallets out of Purple Heart. That's not true. Uh, there's no purple heart pallets in America, but I am thinking like, just to have access to walnut and at an affordable price and maple. And, and there is, you can get any exotic you want. I'm in a big city in America and it's a port city. There's just access to anything. Mm. And I'm thinking about all this. And then I've got my gripper ripper and I've got my push stick. I'm just, man, what a situation. I've got the best of everything. This is so nice. And as I'm thinking it, I rip one more cut and I put the gripper ripper down and I reach across to grab it. And I ran my hand straight through the blade, through the running blade. I was on cut 32 of uh, 36 cuts. And you couldn't tell me which finger it hit. It's not this one. That's from, uh, I tried to <laughs> carve a bowl and it didn't go very well. Uh, this hand has some wounds on it. I've got a, that was an X-Acto knife. That was a uh, a gouge. Every finger's got a story for sure. But, but, uh, but isn't it wonderful the fact that you can do that? You can show your hand and you can say, oh, well, it's not this one, this one, this one, or this one. Right. It's none of these five. It. Right. That that is such a wonderful thing to be able to say. That yeah. here's the other thing: if you have a skin contact, so you lose a blade, you know, fifty to hundred dollars, depending on what you spend on a blade, US, yeah. uh, and you lose a cartridge. A cartridge seventy bucks, I think. They're either thirty six or seventy. I can't remember. But uh, if you have a skin contact, you mail them the cartridge. 
in exchange for the data from your cartridge for their research, they'll send you a new cartridge. So oh, I wow. thought that was a oh, pretty wow. neat little, yeah. Now yeah, it's only wow. for skin contact because two weeks ago I had another cartridge fire, not from skin contact. I have a, a new miter saw sled and it has an aluminum rail in the back. And mm. I don't know if it's static discharge buildup or maybe there's some blade vibration and there was just, they never touched but they were close enough to set off the magnetic and aluminum's not magnetic. So I, I don't know. So there was some kind of interference that it, it did trigger the blade, uh, the, the cartridge. And uh, mm. it wasn't as scary the second it, time. Cause I knew it was connectivity. So if, I mean, yeah. if you were holding yeah, the, the aluminum, yeah. Aluminum, yeah. As you were pushing it towards it, even if there's, there'd be enough, maybe air conduction, Absolutely. And, and I think that is what it was. It was just yeah. close enough that the, the signal and we can say aluminium. I, I'm, I like that word. <laughs> I, I think color is better than however y'all say it. But uh, you probably you're probably right on aluminium. That's I, I read a wonderful, wonderful article this morning on Reddit. I say article, a post on Reddit with uh, it was a, a guy working remote. It's a British guy working remote for an American company as a graphic designer. And uh, one of his colleagues in the U.S. office was kept kept flagging up every time he put a U in the word color, and was just getting really kind of irate about it, uh, and sent him a really kind of you know curt email, sort of telling him to you know to stop, you know to to respect the the you know the, the yeah, uh, use your free language letters. of the country he's working in, Jesus you know. Christ. And uh, so he he decided that what he would do is just he, you know he apologized he, he you know he, he said no, I I I promise from now on I will not use the letter U at all. So <laughs> every words. single email <laughs> following that, there was not a single letter U in any word to it. <laughs> Apparently, this guy had to keep asking other colleagues to try and translate for him. It's so funny because you know I'm sure y'all think that's you know, country based, but. People in general are very, I'm sure y'all have regions that think poorly or, or about other regions oh, in England. And absolutely, you could go to a different part of America and not understand a single thing they say. Um, just because we have different words, we have I'm in Texas now, but I grew up in Louisiana, and, and Louisiana is a, a rare place. I mean, it is it is itself, <laughs> there's no other place in the U.S. like Louisiana. So you learn how to say things or phrase things, and I'm in Texas, one state over. Hour and forty-five minute car ride. I'm back in Louisiana. That's how close mm. it is, and I still to this day say things, and people look at me like, "What? What does that mean?" I've never. Um, if you want someone to look at something, you may say, "Come see," and it just, it literally means come over here and, and see this. Just come yeah. see. It, it seems pretty reductive yeah, to me. I'll go with that. Yeah, that, yeah. that works yeah. for me. They're like, "Well, I've never heard that in my life," and then there's just uh, a lot of French and, and things back home yeah, and course, so you have yeah. bastardized versions of french words that that's what i just thought they were i didn't know they they had a different meaning that's why i always got a kick out of adam's uh, australian word of the day on on clamp because there are definitely things that i say and my wife looks at me like what are you talking about i've, I've never heard that before <laughs> well I, I mean of course it's it's you know sort of etymologically that the a lot of american english is old english sure so you know when, when when you folks sort of migrated over there, uh, you know, you sort of simplified what you'd taken over to try and 
distance yourselves from us and we did the same thing in kind of we we went the other way and tried to make ourselves a little bit more fancy so we we wanted to sound a bit more french and latin so we started adding in extra superfluous letters to to words that we had like yes yeah. um yeah so we, we literally like from the old english we you know kind of you guys went one way we went the other and then both of us have kind of developed the language by adding in surrounding cultures from you know everyone else who was with us you know so you guys have got a bit of french uh, french and spanish and german and italian and irish and all of these sort of things that have kind of twisted yours as it's spread out across the country and we've just kind of done the same with anywhere we've been you know yeah, so the, it's, it's just it's that you know two countries separated by a common language the perceived divergence of american and and english or, or, or british I, I don't know the right term for that uh, it's hilarious because there's no two countries more like there's no geographically separated countries more like than American in England. I would be willing to bet. There's so much we do. I heard y'all had one, you were talking about cities you were saying, oh, no one outside of England knows this city or that city. There's not a city in your country that doesn't have a version in America. Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. <laughs> From New York Austin. to Birmingham to yeah, there's Austin. I mean, Portland, there's so many cities here that we just there's a Paris, Texas. There's a, you know, they, a Moscow, Texas. I mean, they didn't. Nobody had reinvented the wheel over here. That's for sure. Uh, I think it it just came down to there's so much space over here that you really, if you didn't like the thumb you were under, you could just pack up and move further west, and you just yeah, kept going until you found a thumb you were okay being around. And maybe that's a simpler thing, or you know, less city and more country, or whatever it may be. And then the agrarian society over here just has so much pull and force that it, it's not about, you never know who has money over here. It's, it's mm -hmm. a weird, weird thing. You, you can't look at anyone and just know that's, this is who they are because the, the don't judge a book by its cover. I mean, that's a hundred percent. You could sit next to somebody on public transport and they could buy, they could own the whole thing and you never know. Just it, it's, it's a very interesting place. Texas is super interesting in that way too. Because oil money is mm, generational. And so this guy's never done anything in his life. And his dad probably didn't do anything either. But they didn't have to because they've got so much money in the bank. Uh, it's It breeds some very interesting people. Yeah, I can well imagine. It, I, mean, just, I mean, that's one of the, the great things about America in some ways, isn't it? It's that. I mean, again, I'm I've, I'm taking this from the viewpoint of someone that's never been further than the south of France. Yeah, I've never been to the states. That's because that's but, yeah, yeah, yeah. The proper south of France, as opposed to the south of England, that's commonly referred <laughs> to as being the north of France. Um, but yeah, that that diversity, and it uh, it's the thing. Uh, one of the things that kind of I believe that a lot of Americans kind of value is that diversity of of culture, diversity of people that you have and that, that that huge variety i mean it's, it is a huge country and mm. large population with so much variation you know, geographically socially it's know, crazy it's, to me when you know you hear these narratives of you know never been more different never been further apart all that and what it is is it's, there's just so many people there's so many different sit situations so many different experiences so many different futures and past it, of course, there's going to be differences, 
but what you said right there, it, I don't know. I, I hate to speak from a place of privilege, but I've just, I enjoy it. I mean, Houston's a very diverse city and I appreciate that. Last night I went to this Halloween party and saw one of my friends who's Indian and he was telling me about these new restaurants that had opened up in the neighborhood and which ones to go to and which ones not. And he's got a unique perspective on it and they're not all Indian, but he knows, you know, one was an Indian restaurant and then he went to the one next to it. And I only have that knowledge because I've got a friend who doesn't look like me or doesn't act like me. And I have the utmost respect for my wife. I mean, she is such an impressive person. I feel sorry for anyone who doesn't look around and take advantage of all the opinions and opportunities that are around them. Because if you, you just live in your lane, you know, you, you've got that echo chamber and you'd never learn a new way to do anything or a new way to look at anything. And I, I don't know. I just feel sorry for those people. I, mm. I think you and I, Andy, we think of ourselves as more rounded, you know, jack of all trades, I guess is the phrase. Uh, and sometimes you look at specialists and you're like, wow, I wish I was just a master of a field like this guy. I mean, if you need something, this is the person you think of. If you want to watch a video on how you, this is the person you think of. But I also feel sorry for those people because mm. they sacrificed other experiences to become that proficient. Um, and I, I hate to keep bringing up things y'all said. On Obviously, I binged a few episodes before we came on, so I'd know which way <laughs> to roll this. Uh, but you had brought up a, um, an example of practicing the piano. And it got me thinking, I'd love to hear y'all perspective on this. In today's world, technology has made everything so much more accessible. You want to do dovetails on a box, you just go on YouTube or you read an article. And 20 years ago, you had to go find someone who knew how to do that and have them show yeah. you. And then you had to practice it where now, you know, I have a laser and I want to do a logo on a piece of wood. The first thing people do is they go on a message board and go, Hey, somebody have this file. Can you, or let me go on Thingiverse. Can I download this file? No one is spending the time to design the file in the CAD program or, or whatever piece of software they're using and understand feeds and speeds and power and, and how that all interplays with one another to get to their final result. They just want to download the item and print it out. And what it makes them is proficient. They can print 50 of this thing that they downloaded from somewhere else, but they don't understand any of the art behind it. And so I'm curious, yeah. do y'all think technology has helped the maker community or in some fashion has the access to technology maybe lessened the knowledge base? I I, I think I, I have a fairly solid perspective on this because I've, I've come from a point of uh, self-development because um, I used to be really, really salty about that. So my... Um, so my background is I, I've ran two careers simultaneously, um, a career in IT and a career in CAD. So doing things like engineering drawings, architectural drawings um, as a day job, while also doing professional IT management as well. So I've had this background of um, dealing with high-level engineering and architectural stuff, planning drawings and things like that. Um, and the technology development over the last kind of 20 years um, and have seen that in both of those fields of technology in and of itself making things more accessible but at the same time kind of usurping the what was specialist knowledge right so 
me going to college and doing the, the subjects that I did to get special training to be able to have that unique understanding of how a thing works to then go out into the field and a 13 year old kid in his bedroom could produce something as good or better for cheaper and I think that's the, where we're kind of at with the maker stuff with the technology at the minute is you've got folks who've been you know time served uh, you know gone through an apprenticeship in how to cut dovetails and how to sharpen that that tenant saw and how to understand to read the wood or read the material that they're using to produce the best result and then suddenly turning around to see someone half their age go oh yeah i downloaded this file i clicked this button i ran this bit of free software on this cheap tool and there you go i've produced exactly the same thing to the same quality in half the time without needing your specialist background knowledge and for a long time, I, I was really salty about that in my professional field of sort of looking at things going, hang on, I, I've spent years learning this to get to know why I pressed that button to fix this issue or why I put this command into this bit of software. And over the last kind of five or 10 years or so, I've, I've actively fought against that with myself to get out of that, that headspace. And I, I'm seeing that among other folk in the maker community now when they... You know, they they come into it with this attitude of, oh, you know, CNCs are ruining woodwork or 3D printing's going to not going to go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, a friend of theirs might hand them something that's been made by that, you know, or, or go, oh, well, I see you're struggling with this particular thing. So I spent 20 minutes in Fusion 360 and then a couple of hours printing. Here's a jig for you that will solve your specific problem that's taking you days to try and come up with or make something that's that's correct and that's that's what that light bulb moment for them when they go ah shit maybe this isn't as scary as i thought you know if my if my friend can do it who's the same age as me the same experience as me but has kind of opened their mind up a little bit to it maybe i can drop my fear of it a little bit maybe i can go well yeah i learned a way of doing it and i can fall back on that if i need to but then also i can help others when they haven't got that specialist knowledge but run into those problems yeah. and I, th I think that's the key that we need to get to is a point where people who've got that that knowledge and that training can start to use that to help rather than just throwing vitriol i take a slightly different tack i I, to I totally agree with what you say there and i think it's absolutely valid and and I think it fits too. And, it, and like a lot of things, it's not we're not talking about something that can just be put down as a, 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 a black and white answer. You know, like many of the topics we talk about, yeah, you know, there's shades of grey, there's different directions that need to be considered, and it, it, it will often all fit together. But the tack I think I would take with sort of the idea of sort of technology and, and making is that it's shifted the bell curve completely mm. and it's made the bell curve a whole lot bigger Absolutely. so many more people now involved in making than there were 10 20 years ago five years ago <laughs> I can't, I can't back that up with any data. I can't, there, there, there probably isn't an easy way of doing it. It's I think the diversity the and accessibility of it. That's, the diversity, that's... the accessibility, the yeah. ability of people to talk to each other. You know, if you think about kind of your, uh, 
I, th I think back to, I, was, I was talking with somebody uh, last week. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, uh, my, the men's shed that I go to. I was talking about uh, a magazine. It's still going, but I don't think it's quite as popular. Magazines aren't as popular as they used to be anyway. Um, it, it was called something like Hobby or Hobbycraft. And essentially, it was a, it was a catalogue. And you, you'd, go, you'd literally buy this catalogue from uh, you know, news agents. And it had a lot of things like uh, wooden models, um it had things like dolls houses and it had tools for a lot of a lot of micro tools it, it's where i first saw i mean proxon it was where i first saw proxon tools mm. i mean they've been going for a very long time a lot of very specialist stuff and you know, there was stuff for jewelry making all sorts of hobbies I used to love, my parents used to get it, and I used to love kind of flicking through it, you know, the kind of sort of start of gear acquisition syndrome for me. And but it was always that kind of thing of like, yeah, you know, I'd always go to certain of the hobby types, whether it was things like, yeah, you know, model aircraft, you know, I'd be kind of flicking through kind of, you know, the remote control, and it, or, <laughs> there weren't that many remote control aircraft at that time because just the cost of it, but it would just be like the, the model gliders. So you'd be making a glider, you know, five five foot wingspan and you, you put some rubber bands cross some rubber bands take it up the side of a mountain and throw it off and you know, hope that it you know, didn't destroy itself too much when it landed and yeah you know, just i just enjoyed kind of going through this but there wasn't really anyone to talk to about those things apart from the you know, immediate family in that case yeah and unless you were in a, a club literally a physical club where you would go and meet people I can, yeah, I was a member of a computer club. But yeah, they all turned up with their, their portable TV and their, their, their little portable home computer, whether it was a yeah, FedEx Spectrum or whether it was an Oric or you know, whatever it was. And you turn up and then people would kind of show the programs they'd made or just, yeah, just sitting there typing in programs. And unless you had something like that, you, you didn't get to meet anywhere near the variety of people. You didn't get to see necessarily the variety of hobbies. The, the different types of making and go yeah to mm. see what makes you go oh i really want to have a go at that and then you know, i think the technology has enabled us to access a whole wide kind of pile of inspiration it's allowed us to kind of make speedier gains not necessarily i mean there, there's some disadvantages to that you know the time served apprentice journeyman who's learned you know the the, the ways of wood and you know, how the grain lies and yeah you know, how wood from cut from a different part of a tree or cut in a different way has you know, works differently if you're trying to make a particular thing yeah you know, some of that i don't think is lost but maybe people aren't necessarily gaining all that when they're they're making a perfectly suitable piece of furniture it's a brilliant piece of furniture they've made it they haven't gone through all the journeyman yeah, they haven't got through the apprenticeship, but they've they've made something amazing. They've used you know modern tools. You know, take something like the the Shaper Origin, and what that will allow people to do, mm. and how that will allow them to, you know, actually circumvent years of chisel work and sawing and things like that, but allows them to maybe then produce 
more creativity or just to produce something that somebody else has designed but then they put it together and there's a satisfaction for them of doing that and i think there is a there, there is a gatekeeping culture where people go oh that's not proper would work because you've used mm. a machine or you've got you've used something with a motor that's not proper would work yeah you've got it everything's going to be done by tools that have no electricity involved and it's sharpened like, on a stone yeah well that's only because the wood costs so much where y'all are at they're trying to slow their projects down <laughs> But I, I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think that, that for, I think if somebody wants to have, take something like uh, Wood by Wright. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's got two shops, basically. Yeah. You can see the shop he, he uses for most of his YouTube, which is, yeah, he's got, yeah, like 50 different planes. And he's got, yeah, like, 30 different saws and yeah it's just like everything's done by hand and he, he makes things bad he's got another shop which yeah he's got a bandsaw yeah he's got the other things because he wants to do something quickly you know mm. taking out you know using a, a yeah you know, five different hand saws and you know three different chisels to produce one joint isn't productive you're just trying to make a, a new bench for your workshop I, I if you want to do that paul seller's funny. doing that Paul Sellers is, you know, kind of classically known as this, you know, sort of hand tool. You know, he'll use a bit and brace, um, you know, and it's all, it's it's the one, you know, tenon saw that he's had for 40 years. And he'll, he'll show you how to resharpen it and reset it. And then, you know, he'll do, you know, build this gorgeous, beautiful, you know, kind of heirloom piece. And it, I remember seeing one of his videos where, you know, he built this workbench. And it, was, it was fantastic. Of course, it was all hand tools. and It was all, you know, beautifully manicured to perfection. And then an, another episode on one of his things, he's there with a, an electric drill. You know, it's like, like well, hang on a minute. I didn't think you were allowing yourself to do that. Now you're using an electric drill to, to pop some screws in. You, you've lost who you were. <laughs> I wonder if some of the purest of the hand tools comes from that wood is, you know, you remove a piece of wood, it's gone. It, it's not, you know, you can't weld wood back together. You, you make a cut, it's cut. Maybe you can glue it. Maybe you can patch it or, or, or do something like that. But I wonder if some of that just slow planing chiseling is it's about ensuring you're doing the right step. But back in what we were talking about, I know it's a hot button topic. I know people, Oh, CNC is not woodwork or uh, are you really a maker if you're just buying files and printing all this stuff up and selling it at the craft show? In my mind, it's a net neutral. What mm -hmm. you've got is you had a time where you were at the mercy of your master. You had to learn all this stuff through an apprentice. They really, you know, you weren't going out making a bunch of money, even if you were talented, because you had to get in the guild or in the union or, or whatever the pathway was and, and put in the work. So now you've removed that burden. Now someone can go online and they can learn at their own pace. They can learn with their own interests. But you've got these other folks that have instant access. Where I think the difference is, is or where the, it all plays out is, I think there's a large group of people who never would have even taken the opportunity because there, mm -hmm. a lot of people are scared of that first step. A lot of y'all yep. listeners, for sure, with some of the topics y'all get on, is, are scared of that first step. They're scared of messing up. They're scared of being ridiculed. They're scared of going. And 
when you can watch five different YouTube videos and go, okay, all five of them did it this way. I'm going to proceed and do it this way from the safety of my home with no one watching. What you may have found is someone who actually does have skill and talent. They just needed that introduction. And then that ignites a passion and they move forward and become a, a great maker one day. But we get distracted by the one that's just downloading files, putting stuff out. I think one of the biggest pushes of the 3D printer is the fact that you can download a file. So that before Absolutely, you put yeah. in all the hours of learning the programming and the coding and how everything works and getting the bed level and heats and temperatures and feeds and speeds and nozzle sizes, you can just go download a file and print it. And then you go, here are the possibilities. I've mm -hmm. experienced the possibilities. And then that'll prompt me to... Some people will never do more than that. And they just bought, you know, a couple hundred dollar toy maker. But then some people will take, okay, now that I see it and it's tangible, it's like yeah. giving someone giving you a guitar. And it's not that you're not musically talented. There's no shortcut. You've got to put in the work. Well, it's the same mm -hmm. thing. Even though you can print this, you're never going to be, you know, virtuoso on the 3D printer unless you put in the time to figure out why this failed or why this worked or what the different filaments are. And I do think that technology allows that passion to be ignited at an easier entry point and it produces yep. some great results. I think it produces some results of people that probably need to spend less time on Reddit or, or whatever they, wherever they pontificate about how awesome they are at some things. But <laughs> I'm, I'm a very machine heavy shop for sure. Uh, I have a nomad. It's a small CNC by carbide. I've never turned it on because I haven't spent the time to learn the software, but I also have a fiber laser that I spent two weekends where I locked that door and I just was back here trying to, the instruction manuals in Chinese, this isn't going to get me where I need to go and just trying to figure out how to make these programs work. And I made something for one of our discord friends today. It took you know 15 minutes because I knew, I knew all the problems as they came up. I put in the time and figured it out. I'm not a, a master, but to know that I could go find resources online is the only thing that made that possible. I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is it's quite often it's not the it's not the fear of starting that stops people. Quite often it's the fear of running into a problem and not knowing how to get around it. Um, you know, and, and I I've got similar kind of struggles myself with um you know, despite the amount of software i tend to use just for work um things like uh embroidery software uh we've had an embroidery machine for for years oh, I and i've never I, i've never learned the software and we've got a file that someone else made that i can quite happily set the machine up and run the file off but to recreate that file like i every time i've looked at the software it's just it's just that level outside of my comfort zone that I, I don't know which i don't know the right terms to ask if you try and punch it into google and i, I know damn well that if there's someone sat next to me watching me trying to figure it out who would go this actually means this right i'd be fine where's I, my no rosetta issue, stone yeah absolutely that you know and it's it's just that that barrier to entry of knowing the terminology to try and troubleshoot yourself. Earlier today, I, I was a little late, a few minutes late, because I, I told Andy I wanted to restart my computer because I'd been in Adobe Illustrator for three hours. And 
I was doing something and making progress, but I know there's an easier way to do what I was trying. I had a background that was intricate and I wanted to erase, I put text on top and I wanted to erase the text out of it because I'm making a file for my laser and I want it to say, okay, this background you're going to do at this power and then the text will overlay at a different power. And I can't figure out how to remove all at once. So I was going individually and merging shapes and then delete and then merge a shape and delete. And I'm sitting here going, I know this is not how Adobe intends this, but I couldn't figure out what words to type in the text box to get the right answers. You know, I was, yep. is mask the right word? I don't know. Is background delete the right? No, that's trying to remove a background. I don't want to remove a background. I just want to merge these, these shapes together to where, and thought, that's exactly what I was sitting here thinking like, God, I wish I had someone who could just translate this for me and get me where I need to go. And AI has got to be, that's got to be the next big thing, surely, because the the amount of stuff that's being done with AI at the minute, you know, like Duncan was talking the other day about using um, using an AI generator to uh, create some code for him. You know, he could put the information in, tell it what it should do, and then it would write all the stuff for him to save him time. He could he could offload that chunk of work. You know, it, it's just like a manager would do in, um, you know, in, in, in a production environment, you'd say, you know, here's, here's your workload, you, you figure that out, you know, and I think that's the, the sort of thing that we have, isn't it, with, uh, you know, a technical environment. Um, if we, if we're missing some, some understanding somewhere, there's normally a person that we can speak to and say, this is what I'm trying to accomplish, whether that's going into uh, you know, a, a Lowe's or a Home Depot or a Binky or a Wix, you know, whichever side of the puddle you're on, to, to go in and say, I would like to create a thing. What tool do I need? What material do I need? And a, a person there can interpret the garbled question you give them, figure out the problem you're trying to accomplish, and then provide you with the things you need. And like as Neil's just said in the chat there, you know, the... the the need in a search engine to work out what to put in the search engine would be really useful to be able to say, here's a load of mental dump of, of the thing I'm struggling with in a language that I currently understand. Can you translate that to something that the software can understand or the help file within the software can understand? It's funny. I, I do agree with you. I think automation is the key. Any, any time you can find ways to automate your processes, you know, if you're a maker and you have a product, a lot of times your your time is the commodity that you can't recapture. And if you can Absolutely. find jigs or, or machines or dies to cut it or, or speed the process up, shipping, whatever it may be. I bought some boxes the other day and they had boxes that were a dollar more per box, but they had an adhesive that sealed and then the recipient unzipped, like pulled a pull tab. And I was like, you know how much time I would save not taping the box? Yeah. It's well worth the dollar for me to be able to, to have that function. I didn't buy them in the end because I'm cheap, but I, I <laughs> do think there's still, well. <laughs> yeah, I do think there's a uh, one big hurdle for AI though. It's you still have to have someone who can put the inputs in right. Um, that, that worker at the box store that knows the language Absolutely. to tell the machine. So in my professional job, I do safety professionally for an oil company. And uh, I, I know that probably oil company probably upsets some people, but uh, we, we take pride in making sure people are safe and okay. And what I actually do, it, it's a service group. We take thousands of data points from surveys and uh, incident reports, and we have keys that go off. And then we build 
reports from that. And so we look for leading and lagging indicators. Uh, we look for trends. We look for uh, growing concerns. And then we shift our safety message or our protection techniques or where our finances are going to try to stop things before they happen or to better support people. And I had to hire a 25 year old because I don't know how to make the reports. I understand what all the surveys mean. I understand how, what questions to ask and what the outputs are. But when it comes to taking thousands of data points and getting a, an output that matters, I needed someone more familiar with those programs. And so I, I get this young data analysis uh, analyst and he's really great, but he doesn't understand any of the industry history or what this, this terminology means or what these processes are. And it really is a marriage that even though he can talk to the computer, he doesn't understand what the entry means. And I don't understand how he's getting this output, but I'm able to look and go, look, that can't be right because I know, I know that these five things did happen. So I don't see those reflective here. Why? And then between the two of us, we can get a quality output. Um, I don't know how long in the future it'll be before the machine can think like that. But, uh, once when they've you, emulated you and him yeah <laughs> when you early when you were talking earlier about the the cad drawing and the, the outsourcing my first thought was like and there goes a job you know there's a job loss because mm. instead of every company having a, a draftsman or a cad operator and now they have one guy that's representing five or ten companies but it, it really is true whenever one situation closes there's another opportunity that opens up um and mm. i was i was going to touch on this you know a lot of people hate the, do you have a file for that? Where's the file for that? Or, hey, here's my new thing. Here's the thing to download so you can make one too. But all that is are people taking advantage of an opportunity. There's someone out there who doesn't want Absolutely, to take the time yeah. to learn, and they're willing <laughs> to give you 99 cents to shortcut. And I'm fine with that because they're, they're the ones that are going to glue up an, in, you know, an oak cutting board, ingrain to ingrain, and not understand why it keeps falling apart. They just know that the file cut it out on the machine, uh, and they, don't, they never put in the time to learn the rest of it. And I tell people all the time, I make a lot of rubber stamps. And if you want to make a stamp, I'll give you the exact recipe because you're never going to make a stamp as good as me because you didn't put in the time and R&D to get it to where it's at. I can hand you all the pieces, but that doesn't mean you know how to put them together. Mm. I, I, I mean, even still their, their own unique take on it, their own, you know, flair to it as well, because it's, it's never going to be exactly the same, you know, it, we, we, I think we've, we've touched on that a couple of times over the uh, over the course of the podcast. Yeah, but it's that exit. I think it's this. It's several elements to it, isn't there? There's there's that element of the technology has enabled more people to try things out, and I think as you said, the, you know, sometimes some people they want to buy a 3D printer, they'll buy a Prusa so they can just it's pre-assembled, so they can literally just plug it in, download some files, print it off. And some people are going to be happy with that. And they're, they're just happy to kind of print off a bunch of plastic toys their kids can play with. They can print off you know, a, a holder for their Alexa or whatever. And there'll be people who will sort of start like that, but then go, oh, this is really cool. Right. I want to try and make something now. So they then spend months learning how to use CAD. Or they will go, go. Ah, actually, I want to make this thing, but I, I see these people on YouTube doing it, and they've gone to a 0.8 millimeter nozzle rather than a, using the sort of standard 0.4, or they're using a 0.1 and they're getting really fine detail from an FDM printer. I want to have a go at that. So they go, right, how do I change the nozzle? 
and so they they find themselves and they've they've just you know, bought something to kind of you know, maybe just to yeah you know, scratch a bit of an itch in terms of oh there's three printing it's fun it's it's easy to do you just download the file press the button and it spits it out but now they're kind of going yeah this is this is interesting and they they develop then a kind of you know, they dive down that rabbit hole and then they're kind of having to kind of you know, dip into those people who've dedicated themselves to learning the ins and out they've built the machines from scratch you know, built yeah. their own machines and who've taken that expertise but then there's you know, this is i think one of the beauties of the, the, the maker community you have those people who you know they will just don't they will you know they'll, they'll focus on one thing and it might be 3d printing but it's not just 3d printing it's it's actually a bit more focused than that. They all they want to do is build more and more advanced 3D printers. Right. They're not actually worried about what they make. They, they, they're, they're very focused on yeah, making a machine that will go faster or bigger. And mm. they're not actually that worried about what it is they make because they, the they're into they're into electromechanical devices and a 3D mm. printer is a, this amazing electromechanical device. They're not really into plastic, but they, they want to focus on these particular things. Well, there'll be somebody who'll go, yeah, I like this 3D printing, but I want to mess around with, yeah, actually, I'm interested in kind of printing in more than three dimensions. I want to I want to have the object, and I want to kind of get a yeah, four or five axis 3D printer, so I haven't got to have any supports. And I, I, Saying three dimensions, I thought you were thinking a four-dimensional printer. Well, yes, of course. Yes, <laughs> is that where it like prints um, on Asgard as well as? Yeah, <laughs> it's just it just prints yeah. over time. Yeah, <laughs> but you've 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 got those you've got those people who kind of you know, will dedicate themselves. Yeah, yeah, like the like the people who will dedicate themselves to learning the ins and outs of traditional, non-machine based, or non-electrical machine based. Yeah, you could argue that a plane and a saw are machines. Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, they they're focused on traditional hand, non-powered woodworking, or they're they're blacksmiths. Or but then you get with and this is the, the, I think the maker community. You then get the people who go, yeah, I like blacksmithing, but I, I, I'm I'm also a bit of an artist, so I'm I'm going to make yeah a, 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 a bottle opener, but I want to make it. It looks like it's made from a tentacle. And yeah. I want to know how to do that. I mean, in order to do that, I'm I need to get out the the MIG welder needs to come out as well. Give it away, John. Secrets, eh? <laughs> well, he's he's put enough on Instagram, not giving all the <laughs> secrets away. But you've got you know, you've got you you're you're pulling in you know oh it's not just it's not just kind of here banging bits of hot metal on a bigger lump of hot metal with another bit of or not a hot metal with another lump of metal yeah it's taking a machine with electricity and you know, using that and bringing that together and then you get the people who kind of you know, do i'm going to do this but i'm going to do it on a miniature scale and i'm going to 3d print some bits to make molds so i can do some lost cast it's not lost wax but i'm going to do lost pla casting for some jewelry and they're bringing all these things together and we're seeing you know amazing things happen uh but we're also seeing people gatekeep we're seeing those people going yeah. Oh, that's 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 a load of rubbish. Yeah, that shouldn't be done. That's not a proper way of doing it. Yeah. I'll say this: 
if you're not upsetting someone, then you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. You know, if, <laughs> if everybody is happy with what you're doing, then you're not trying hard enough. You need to do more. Uh, because, right, I mean, you can't make everybody happy. You need to make yourself happy. Mm. I love... I love the term maker because before I didn't know what I, what I was because I definitely wasn't a fine furniture. I didn't make furniture. I didn't make anything uh, specific. I wasn't a mechanic. I wasn't a machinist, but there's not a thing. There's not a thing you can see around me 360 that doesn't have my touch on it. I mean, this monitor that I'm looking at y'all in, it's two inches higher because I wanted my laptop under it. So I took it off. I redrilled the holes, rethreaded the holes so I could move the monitor up. Uh, the, audio uh, input device i for the clamp challenge i made a a deal that would clip on to the monitor stand so i could articulate it and hold it in a certain spot i mean there is nothing around me that i don't put a sticker on at the base level to take it apart so drilling holes in it at the extreme level um i've got an old i've got a 1987 porsche 911 it was you know i was one of those guys that grew up with the car posters on the wall and that was going to be my that's what i want i want a porsche i want a porsche well my wife was from Houston. I'm, I'm not from here and her, she wanted to move back home. And so the deal was we'd move to Texas, but I want to be able to get a, a car if we move. And so she was like, okay, deal. And that was right when the prices started to really jump up. And so the one I had on my wall, I couldn't quite afford. And then I waited too long and I couldn't really afford the one under it. And so finally I came across one. It was a little older than I was looking for, but I got it and I got my car and I was driving one day and I didn't want to do anything to it. I was, I'd wax it mostly, drive it sometimes. And I was driving one day and I went to turn left and a guy went to go around me and he hit the front of the car and glass flies in the air and, and paints all over the place. And my, my stump, like my stomach just sank. And I'm like, this is it. I, like the car is worthless now. I can't afford to fix it. It's going to have an accident on it. You know, what was the point of this? It was the most freeing experience because mm -hmm. now I could do whatever I want. And whenever I reshifted my focus that it wasn't, I, I'm not holding this car and curating it for the next person. This is my car. And I came home and I started, I spray painted where it had been, the paint had been scratched. And you can't tell the difference because I'm a maker. I've got seven different shades of red spray paint. So I found the one closest. Um, I've taken the entire interior out that car. I went from the plush Porsche carpet to a square weave Volkswagen carpet because I wanted something that it was easier to get the dog hair out of because there's so many dogs in my house. Uh, actually, the seats, this is a funny story to connect the pond. I wanted to go to a, a race-style seat, and the eight, it had this white leather 80s interior. And so I took all the white out, and I went black. But before I rewrapped the seats, I was like, I just kind of want something more like 50 spider, just real small, real basic. If I get hit, I'm going to die anyway. I'm not really that worried about it. Let's just get as small and compact as we can get. And so I go to the auto parts store up the road, and I think the seats were 1200 us dollars for two and i was just like oh that's a little outside my budget i'm gonna have to keep looking around well i can't get them out of my head so i start searching them on the internet and i come across a auto parts store in london that had the seats for 550 us shipped and so i bought the seat wow. the store here was 15 minutes up the road and i bought the two mm. seats from europe from england and had them shipped over for half the price of what they would have been to buy here then I got in touch with a loom and I'm not Scottish or anything, but Porsche had the, the plaid seats in, in the seventies and eighties. And so I wanted these plaid inserts in the seats. They were black corduroy and I wanted to take corduroy out and do 
compliance. So I got in touch with this loom in Scotland and I was like, my car is red and black. I want a red, black, black and gray weave. What do you got? And they came up with a tartan and they're like, it takes us two months to produce. I said, take your time. Seats are coming from over there too. I don't care. And uh, got that put together and shipped over and uh, had a guy in, I, it, I like to sew. I do a lot of sewing stuff. I didn't sew those just because I had really invested a lot of time in getting the materials. So I didn't want to mess it up. But uh, it's my favorite part of the car that these seats, no one else has an interior like what I have. And so I've mm. got the seat inserts and then I found other places. You, you want to talk about <laughs> the, the maker mentality. So where the, the key on the on a Porsche is on the left. So we we sit on the left and then the key is on the left and they have a little round plate around it so that you don't scratch your dash up trying to put the key in and it unscrews. And so I unscrew that and I came back here and covered it in that tartan fabric and so i'm taking a part <laughs> off of an 80s porsche that i don't know if i'll be able to get again if i need to and uh and i glued that on there and then the other thing it had air condition and it's hot in texas but i, I really wasn't going to use the air condition and it got in the way of this 80s porsche has a some gaskets that leak and they're hard to reach with all the heater and everything in there so the air condition is one of the things that takes up space so it's like I either need to be able to be comfortable and the car gets sat up every now and then because I can't reach these gaskets or be uncomfortable, but I'm always on the road. And so I took the air condition out. And so I'm like, well, I don't need all these controls. And I took the center console out of this 80s Porsche and put it on the bandsaw and cut the top off because like I don't need any of this extra stuff in the way. I want it where it's open and clean and I don't want any of this nonsense. And I cut it on a bandsaw. My wife walked back here and just shook her head and walked back out. Um <laughs> I had, I bought an Audi in 2011 and the day I got it, I was spray painting all the emblem. It was black and I was spray painting all the emblems black. And she walked in the garage and just like, what are you doing? You're paying a note on this car. I'm like, I want black emblems. I can't, there's nothing in here that I haven't done something to. I, I love that, that just way of life though, because everything is, is, it is yours. It is intrinsically a part of you and your story. So to have the, those little customizations or, you know, just, you know, I, I quite often find myself in similar sort of stuff with, you know, new things that I'm, you know, if, it, if Amazon delivers a new toy while I'm in the middle of working, it's, you know, I'll, I'll be playing with it and examining it while I'm, you know, waiting for drawings to load up or something. Even if it's little things like, you know, cutting, if there's like slight bits of raised flashing from the mold or, you know, things like yep, that. Just, gotta just, come off, sand it off. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just little bits of, of refinement or optimization or adjustments or tweaks or, you know, a little, little bit of something here and there just to have your, so you, just your, your bit of touch to it. If you are a maker listening and you like to customize and modify, or you have a cricket and you like that kind of thing, a laser is, an unbelievable accessory and it seems so wasteful to have such an expensive thing. But uh, so my wife has a coworker who's leaving and she's like, I want to get him a gift. What can I get him? I was like, what about an ink pen? I've got 25 that I've turned sitting in. I, I stock up on gifts and I'm like, I've got 25 in the gift closet. Go pick one out. And she, well, can we put his initials on them? Absolutely. You know, it takes yeah. a minute to do the design 30 seconds to run the laser. He's got a custom handmade ink pen as a gift. I have a shelf in here. I think I have 85 coasters, multiple serving trays. So if we someone calls, hey, do you want to come watch a American football game uh, at our house? And I'm like, yeah, what do you want us to bring? Oh, bring uh, something to snack on. 
I'll grab one of these little marble serving trays and I'll put their last name on it. And then I, I leave it now. I don't have to take my dishes home. It's theirs now. It's got their name on it. And they've got a nice gift. But a laser is so freeing if you're the kind of person that likes to personalize things and, and do little touches like that. It, it's been a lot of fun. Do you have any? Do you have any lasers? I don't believe you do, Andy. No, I don't. No, Jamie, you got I, any lasers? I did. Um, well, I, I made the mistake of uh, building a big enclosure for it and getting halfway down the rabbit hole of modifying it and upgrading it and all the rest of the stuff. Didn't actually get around to using it much, so I, I gave it away to a friend. Space is precious. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's now more of an electronics bench than a than a laser storage bench. Um, but yeah, I keep looking at you know sort of friends of mine who've, who've got ones that are newer generations and things. And going, Ooh, mm, it's definitely on the wish list. This 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 year, this last year, I'd say possibly in this last six months, the the number of diode lasers that are yeah. coming out and the, the pace of development and the pricing has dropped dramatically. Yep. Absolutely, it, yeah. what's available for a few hundred bucks is just absolutely amazing. And My first laser. My first laser was a two and a half watt diode, 2.8 watt diode. Mm. And for the laser and the 3D printed, because I didn't have a 3D printer, for them to 3D print all the hookups to go into my CNC. So no controller. I had a controller, no gantries, no motors, just the laser and a 3D printed enclosure to go on. It was $600 US. Jeez. And so it's probably it was 780 something like that over there. But that was six years ago or so. And I have... Two more since, two, one, yeah, two more since then, but I'm I'm seeing this uh, oh, what's the one everyone has now? It's it's an open rail system and it's a diode laser. I think they just came out with a twenty watt, but it's a ten yeah. watt um, uh, X tool. It's the X one, the X. Yeah, yeah. that mm. is unbelievable. It's still not free. I mean, it's eight hundred US dollars, I believe, something like that, which is money. But okay, so I'm here's something I always tell people about you have to invest in yourself. I understand money doesn't grow on trees and a lot of us have families and other commitments, the rents do things like that. But if you're a maker and you sell things and you want to sell things, the biggest, so, okay, I'm a maker and I have a saw and I make cutting boards and I go, but man, it cost me $50 to make a cutting board. I'm only selling them for 70. What? There's just not enough margin there when you take into time and effort and all that other stuff. That's because the, the barrier to entry is low. As the barrier to entry increases, so does your profit margin and uh, the lack of, you know, there's less competition because yep. not as many people have the access to these tools. Uh, that's why, you know, somehow they can still charge like $35 for a custom hat because Jamie's the only one with an embroidery machine that he's not using and everybody else is, has a large margin in there for their hats. So things like lasers, I say anything under a thousand US dollars, if you are committed to make a product to sell and put forth the effort, I 100% believe you will make the money back in months, not years, in months. Mm. That if you have, you can go and get basic, simple cutting boards from an Ikea or a discount seller, and all you offer is a customization and you mark it up 15, 20 bucks. People come out the woodwork for that stuff, especially if it's value. They bought multiple items and you can make your money back. That first laser I got. I made the money back in a year, I think, but I didn't know what things went for. And then I spent the money on a Glowforge, which is a very expensive machine for it. It has extreme limitations, a very small bed for the price. Uh, and 
very low clearance. So the clearance is so low, you can do no 360 stuff, no glasses, no tumblers. It's only flat base mm. items. Mm. Yeah, and then the and the bed is very small for the price. Now you can get a Chinese laser for half the price, but it, it's a much larger learning curve. Point being, though, I purchased that Glowforge was lucky enough to find an industrial client and it paid for itself in two and a half months i mean i, I wow. wouldn't have believed it but you have to be willing to hustle and, and put a product out there and do the the leg work to sell items but these machines pay for themselves 700 for x tool d1 christmas season it would pay for itself if you're committed to make a run at this mm -hmm. yeah definitely. i think it, it, it's finding the right markets as well isn't it you know it's, it's a little bit um different over here compared to over there in terms of just because y'all are so negative <laughs> y'all have an extreme population density there's no reason that you we can't do find... yeah. yeah and I, I think that's the thing is the the because of that population density there's there's always that kind of uh that hustle culture in the big cities and stuff sure so there's that kind of like um so the, the the battle for it you know obviously there's a lot of uh as we said before there's a lot of space over there for you guys right you know, and so y'all say distances are a lot aluminium easier. and we're not scared of a fight yeah i would never <laughs> be i would never be intimidated by competition competition <laughs> is fine because competition here's what competition does competition forces you to put out your best project your best oh, product totally, yeah if you have no competition you're going to sell things or, or be willing to put things out of your workshop that are a little off center or maybe not spaced right or the finish mm -hmm. uh, you rush it a little bit it's a little rough on this pin competition forces you to sand it down and finish it again competition forces you to prototype to r d to go through different you know rounds of development to find friends hey 10 friends i'm going to give you this for free but I need you to give me feedback so that I can make my product better. So when I face this competition, I can make a better product. The other thing, I think too many makers think that the only way to do it on their own or you know have a business is to make a product. And they overlook the service industry. There yeah, is a humongous time, market for someone who provides a service to a maker. I mean, can you imagine if you just sold filament? You don't need to 3D print anything. You just sell filament or you just sell enclosures you know how many you know lazy show me the file guys bought a 3d printer for their apartment and their girlfriends complained that the smell so they need an enclosure well they don't know how to make an enclosure because they can't download that they can't download an enclosure so you know you sell them a kid and, and or you have sell to them print plans. it which should right. be a self-defeating problem <laughs> there is so much opportunity my biggest uh you know, claim to any notoriety was was those stamps what's a stamp it was a method for other makers to brand their products, but mm, I was yeah. providing. And so what that did was uh, my market is not people shopping for cutting boards. My market's not people shopping for any wooden item or any metal item or any clothing item or an anniversary gift. My market is everyone who makes wooden items and metal items and anniversary gifts. My market grew dramatically because the product I was offering crossed over into all those different things. So you may, do ceramics, but you have a tag you put on your item. Well, you want to brand this and personalize it? I've got a stamp for that. You may not make anything, but you need a Christmas gift. Well, everyone is mailing out their Christmas cards during the holiday season. They're tired of writing their address. Hey, I do address stamps. And so mm. I was able to come. I met so many people 
in completely different fields of making because they would want a stamp or they'd heard of somebody who had a stamp and they had a product that they wanted to personalize. People love putting their name on things that they created. I mean, every artist throughout time has you know put their signature. I guess Michelangelo only signed um, you know the the Madonna, but besides that, uh, everybody else has loved to put their name on. Hey, things. it's on the statue, David. It's just on the bottom. There you go. No one looks at it. <laughs> the bottom of what part? I'm not saying which old, old smooth and curved that. <laughs> but Better there's crack line. There's great opportunity out there for people who provide services. And I, I don't necessarily, if I knew what they were, I'd be making a good billion dollars too. But I think about a uh, tumblers was one. I, I always feel like the market has passed. Uh, but if you had a laser with a three, uh, like a 360 axis machine and you could personalize tumblers, I mean, who doesn't want their logo? I mean, I'm wearing my podcast logo on, on the shirt. I don't wear anything that if you're not paying me. I ain't wearing your brand. You know, my hats say Duplantis on them. My shirts say, you know, making our way. And that's what I want to do. I mean, that's how I want to be represented. Uh, but yeah, I mean, don't be scared of competition. Give it your best. You'd be surprised what you're capable of. Mm. I think there's, I think there's a, there's a thought sometimes. You, know, you say there, yeah, the, the, the market for tumblers has passed. I mean, a few years ago, there were, there was, yeah, people kind of on YouTube showing how they're taking, yeah, making their, Using a, a laser and a Yeti tumbler, and they, yeah, they're coating it, then they're taking some of the coating off, and they're getting this nice image, and it's a great item, and yeah, they, they look fantastic. And then the YouTube trends move on; people try other things, but there's still a market for those tumblers. There's still people who don't follow makers on YouTube. Right? There's always yeah. a lag in market. Yeah, there's, they're still going to want it. There, there are still people buying epoxy river platforms with four legs <laughs> things on that goes all back to the diversity yeah. conversation yeah. earlier like you have to surround yourself by other folks because you mm. don't understand what their needs are if you're if you're only in the maker world well then you think everyone knows about epoxy but there's definitely people who have never seen that before and they're yeah. going to send you a look at this awesome woodworking project i saw on pinterest can you make this and it's like yeah i saw that same picture seven years ago or, or whatever it may be you're right one of the things I, I tell them at work is never true. underestimate the intelligence of our audience. Like don't overestimate mm -hmm. their intelligence. Assume that they're all completely ignorant of what we're talking about and approach it that way. And you may upset some people that you're, you know, coming at them in a lowbrow manner, but there's a lot of people who truly don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that, that's absolutely the key though, as well is the, not just, you know, not underestimating their intelligence, but to, to actually stop and to listen i think we're we're far you know as like you know white dudes with beards you know like we said before but you know privilege we've got that that point of privilege there and it's very very easy for us to to forget to listen to other folk you know so people who are you know at, at this this level of accessibility coming into the space or this level of diversity of a, you know a, a product that we've seen lots of and we've been hugely exposed to and the moment has passed for us might just be reaching other folk mm -hmm. and to be able to actually stop and listen to what people are asking for or listen to you know where everyone else is i think that's that's something that it's too easy for us to forget to do because we're on this 
you know, this this hustle mentality or this what's the next thing that we can jump to? Where's the next trend coming up and things like that? As opposed to let's just see what someone else might need. You know, Jamie, what's funny on the whole chasing the trend and uh, the YouTube trend, the Instagram trend, mining for followers, trying to get eyes and attention and validation. I know y'all are a podcast that's very sympathetic to the, the emotional side of things and, and the emotional intelligence of things. And I I just don't care. Like, I don't care if anyone likes my photo. I don't care. I'm not going to make reels and stop what I want to do to make a reel so that I can get more followers. I just, I don't see the value because in the end, the trend's going to keep moving. It's going to keep moving. Yeah. And so I can mm -hmm. either keep chasing this trend and changing who I am and what I do because I'm trying to follow a trend that I may be successful at. And then honestly, all more eyes do are get more hateful people looking at your stuff with their unnecessary comments. So mm. if, if I'm only surrounded by people that I, I have some sort of relationship with, I may not know them intimately, but we've been following each other for a while or they comment and I comment back and we've got some kind of rapport. And those are the people seeing my work. I'm never going to be Jimmy Duresta and I'm okay with that. I have no intention of ever quitting my job and being a professional YouTuber. I'm okay with that. I have a good job. I've got a great wife. We've got a great house. And that's another thing too. I always, I always talk about how fortunate my house is a thousand square feet. And in Texas, that's tiny. And I know over there, it's probably a castle in, in England, but <laughs> in Texas, a house is four, four times the size of my house. And we have one bathroom. So when we have Mexican food, one of us has to hold it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's okay because just like the followers and the chasing the trend, I don't need more than that. If I had a hundred more square footage, I want it back here so I can get a bigger laser. I don't need it in there. You know, how many, but how many seats do I need? It's just us, me and my wife. I don't need a bigger couch. I don't need another TV. There's just two of us. Why do I need another room for, for this or that? And I, I feel sorry for people who uh, just chase these things, whether it's the bigger house or the fancier car or, the followers on Instagram or the, if you're doing it because that's your hobby is creating content. That's awesome. Create content, enjoy what you're doing. But if you're doing it because you need someone you'll never meet to give you a thumbs up, I mean, what are you doing, man? You need to think about this. Mm. Uh, if your mom says what you make is good, then it's good. It doesn't matter what someone across the country or the world thinks about it. I think that's the thing you is enjoy it as well. Doing it for yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I find it, I, I get a bit, not cross, I suppose, but so you talk to somebody sometimes, and it's like, oh, I want to start a YouTube channel. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, fine, you want to start a YouTube channel. You kind of delve into maybe why they want to do it. And for some people, yeah, they they want to maybe, they see the big numbers. They see the people who are making a living from it, and they kind of maybe yearn after that. And, yeah, you, that's the way you want to go. That's the career you want to make, and you, you're prepared to put the work in, yeah, and if you're good enough and you work hard at it, you can do it. It is possible to do it because there are people doing it. Yeah, and we've we've been seeing people like yeah, our, fr our friend Morley. Yeah, Morley. This year, he's 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 dedicated himself to it. He's put a lot of work in. He has seen the growth. He is now getting to a point where yeah, it's a, it's a career. It's his job. He, he he's a professional YouTuber. And yes, he's having to pick other work to kind of yeah help pay the bills but yeah he's growing he's growing he's growing because he's dedicated to it he's it's not an overnight success yeah or it's like every overnight success yeah it's taken yeah five ten years in the making 
but he's put the effort in and that's what he wants to do. He's enjoying doing it. He's good at what he does. He's, he's doing a good job. And that's fine. Other people want to make it. I mean, one of the reasons that I've made YouTube videos, and I haven't made any for a while, but yeah, but the one of the reasons I want to make YouTube videos, well, there's not just one reason. There's, there's multiple reasons. There's that. It's the teacher in me. Yeah, I want to kind of sort of share information. I want to sort of share it. And there's the there's also that element of leaving something behind, so that yeah, right. my kids their kids if they don't if i don't meet my grandchildren yeah my my parents did not meet their grandchildren uh oh, well they didn't meet my children my mother did not meet any ever her grandchildren my father did meet four of his grandchildren but not the six that actually are, are mm. alive today and yeah the chance for my kids to be able to say, come here, come on, watch this video. This was this is your grandfather. This was some of the things he did. This is what he sounded like. And I, it, it, some of you may go, yeah, that, that's, yeah, it's kind of maybe, for, again, from a point of privilege. Maybe it's a, bit, a little bit selfish. But, yeah, it's just something. For me, my kids have never heard their grandfather. They have never heard... Mm their grandmother they've seen them in photographs but they've never heard them and I, th I just think that's something that i can i have the facility to do so i can leave something behind and the fact that i'm making some of it public yeah just that's that's it it's just it's if it helps other somebody else you know the, the the things i make or things i talk about if it helps somebody else then it's worth putting it out as public that's exactly Please. So, but, but I sometimes hear people sort of say, I want to start a YouTube now. I, I, I know it's not something I want to do as a career, but I'm not really sure what to do. And you know that they're good makers. And they go, I, I, I could do this. Thing, but so many other people have done this. It's like, yeah, no one else has. Yes, there are, there's a thousand other videos on how to sharpen a plane, how to, how to restore a plane, how to flatten the, the base of the plane, how to get a nice edge on the blade and how to reassemble it and clean it up. Yep, there's thousands, there's probably 20,000, 50,000, who knows? But no one's seen yours. And you might be the person that somebody else goes, ah, oh, I get it. Now. Ah, That's, yeah, exactly. you get that, you get that video. You, you want, yeah, you've, you've got a problem and you, you've, you've, you down, yeah, you, you do the search and you get 25 videos that all seem like they might be the right one. And it's the last, you know, number 23, where you go, ah, so, yeah, it's that little button that you have to press. No one else mentioned it. But, uh, mm. yeah, that one person sort of showed that, or they showed something at a particular angle. It makes you go, ah, yeah, that is, that's the same as mine. The thing that we take for granted is that the audience is enormous. But that's not your audience. Your audience is this. And if you can service this audience then you're being beneficial. And it doesn't have to be this. It just needs to be this. When I sewed some bags recently, I have a different sewing machine. I have different materials, maybe. I have different dimensions and measurements. I watched five different videos. And none of them were exactly what I ended up with. But right, I went to five different videos because I learn a certain way. And maybe those five people didn't teach all exactly the way I needed to learn. 
you know, so I, I got one bit from this person and one bit from that person. I, I, I do look, there's a, <laughs> it's funny when I was coming on here, the podcast is one too. you know, YouTube is whatever the podcast is one too. Why do we make a podcast? Why do you make a podcast? And yeah. it blows people's mind when I say I, the word money never comes up. The word quit my job and be famous never comes up. What I've got is a hobby that once a week I get to spend time with two friends and we text message all the time back and forth about our upcoming podcast. We have a discord where we keep everything. There's a, there's a joy to the organization. I mean, us uploading yeah. a list of questions that we've curated from watching their old material is going to the lumber store and then sitting there and, and figuring out how we're going to ask them. All right, Austin, you're going to introduce them. And Christy, you're going to come in on this part. That's us, you know, getting everything laid out and ready to assemble. This is a hobby the, our end product is no different. When I sit down to edit the podcast, that's the same as putting a finish on a box we've built. And then Christy does a review. That's someone coming in and making sure that, you know, the quality assurance and everything's where it needs to be. And Austin uploads it. That's bringing it to the store to be displayed for, for our audience to consume. It's no different. And that was our why. You have to know your why. And our mm -hmm. why was none of us are making any money of us. None of us had any delusion to make money off of this. What we wanted was something we could do together. We're remote. This We don't have to travel. We can do this online and, and come together every week and end up with a final product. And what the unexpected outcome is, we've met some really amazing people one week at a time. Because every week, I mean, look, I am so flattered that you guys invited me on here. I really appreciate it. But there's no reason I'm on here versus anyone else. This was just the road that it took us down. I mean, after 77 yeah. people, you're finally like, shit, I guess we'll see what they're doing over, over in America. And, uh, and that's fun. And I know you've had some other Americans. Um, but actually, Lindsay Creative is in Houston. She's not far from me. We, we mm. hung out a few times at some different maker events. But uh, th that was the whole thing with, uh, with the podcast. And I have a few YouTube videos for the same reason, Andy, that my mom is hours and hours away. And unless every Christmas she gets something I make, which usually is going to happen anyway, uh, she can keep up with the things I've, I'm doing. And it's always fun to go back and watch a video I haven't put a video out in a year and I'm going to do one before the end of the year because where I want to be is in 10 years, go back and see my skills grow. You know, as much as my waistline is growing, I need my skills to also grow. And then in 10 years, I can go back and just really see like, oh, wow, you learned that joint four years ago or, oh, I see where you switch from a rub on finish to a spray finish or when you got comfortable uh, using this type of saw or this type of cut. It's enjoyable for your own retrospective. Nobody's writing a biography on me. But I'm writing one myself, mm -hmm. and it's got 80 episodes mm -hmm. of audio, and uh, I think I've got five or six uh, videos on YouTube, and that's fine. That's all I, I wanted it to be. And and again, I appreciate anybody who listens. I definitely appreciate anybody who takes time to comment. Uh, I see all the comments over here, and it took me an hour to figure out how to turn the comment section on. But um, <laughs> you know, it's it's definitely appreciated. But for anybody out there that thinks that these are hurdles, they're not hurdles. They're they're in your head. I mean. Life sucks for everybody, even bearded yeah. white dudes. You know, yeah. we still got bills and mortgages and people that rely on us or we rely on them. And some of us, you know, can't squat down like we used to. And some of us can't lift up as much weight as we used to. And uh, Yeah, I can squat down. Squatting down's not the problem. It's getting back up. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so just know, I mean, anybody out there that's the best thing you can do is get friends, get a support network. Uh, I love Absolutely. that the Internet has increased the geographic range of who I'm allowed to be friends with. I mean, I think Andy and I are friends. I honestly think 
uh, politically, philosophically, we, we have some divergence, but I respect Andy because I, I know he comes from educated perspectives and, and he's a respectful person and that's perfect. That's the kind of people I want to be around. And the internet allows me to be around people like that. Otherwise I would only be around Texans and you know, there's only so many cowboy hats and, and pistols and, and beer and <laughs> F-250s you can have in your life before you have to find something else. And, and that's looping perfectly back around to that whole discussion of that, you know, like diversity and, uh, you know, the, the, the different perspectives, you know, if, if you agreed with absolutely everything that all of your friends said, there wouldn't be any new conversation. That's not what being a friend is. That's yeah, something, absolutely. a message we've got to get around. Being absolutely. a friend with someone is being okay, having a conversation and not agreeing. Being a friend means going halfway. Being a friend yeah. means if you want pizza and they want pasta, finding a restaurant that serves both or going to get a steak. That's what being in a friendship <laughs> is. If it's your way or the highway, you're not a very good friend. And if it's yeah. their way or the highway, they're not a very good friend. And I also like how the guy with just crossed 5,000 followers on Instagram says getting friends is the hardest part. That just reinforces the shallowness of all those followers he just got. Yeah, and the fact that he's such a lovely dude anyway. It's <laughs> <laughs> Canadian. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's fake, too. That's his privilege. You know, borders are not real. <laughs> he's just an American that's a little further north. That friendly Canadian thing, that's fake. He's an Englishman that's a little far west. Uh, I follow that up. Yeah. Um, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but it, I mean, it, I I discovered the maker community back in 2017. I knew about make the maker movement probably 2012, 2011, 2012. I sort of discovered the maker sort of movement, um, mostly through work, actually, because I, I got drafted into teacher an electronics course for a year. And it wasn't pure electronics. It was electronics uh, in a product. Electronic products is, is the name of the course. And I needed kind of acts. I needed ideas. I needed inspiration. I needed sort of resources. And so, yeah, do, do what I always do. Kind of, yeah, hit Google and just started Googling things. Uh, but the regular kind of line of go to the exam board's website was that yeah, waste of, it wasn't a way, complete waste of time, but it, yeah, it gave me information I needed to know. But it didn't give me the inspiration. It didn't give me the ideas to suggest to the, the lads that I was teaching things that they could make, things that they could do at different levels of difficulty depending on their own abilities. It didn't give me insights into things that I, I knew about but didn't know details of. And being able to sort of do that, in the process of that, discovered things like make. Mm. It was my first kind of, I didn't really kind of follow him at that point, but getting to know people or seeing some of the things that like Bob Claggett and Jimmy Duresta were making even back in those days. And seeing some of these other um, sort of people and seeing things like Make Magazine mm -hmm. and, and the like of the, some of the stuff that they were producing. It was such a great facility 
but then in kind of sort of 2017 when i had kind of sort of time on my hands and actually sort of discovered that yeah there were lots of people making lots of different things and it wasn't just that there was these people making things because obviously i knew that yeah i've done youtube for many years not didn't spend that much time watching it but then to discover that there's communities built around that and yeah you could meet people who were interested in the same things when yeah i mean i, I know yet yeah, 200 yards from my house i know there are people that are into 3d printing because they've got an entire business built around it i know that there are a few other people in my village that make things with wood i know that there are some artists yeah oils and, and watercolors there's quite a few of those there are a few photographers but there isn't anyone there aren't that many people i would kind of go and go oh yeah let's, i want to make a bunch of different things i want to make some stuff with yeah 3d printing and we've had some electronics to it and we're gonna put that we're gonna add some wood to that and we're gonna get some mechanics going on it and we're gonna build a a, a prop maybe not that many people around that might do that locally but i know that i can get on a web call or i can mm -hmm. just kind of get in a a group chat somewhere or on a discord with 50 100 yeah people that yeah yeah very interested in that and some of those people yeah i would say are now some of my closest friends and i have better relationship because i speak more often than some of my members of my family yeah and yeah. that i think that opportunity that the maker community has garnered and that ability also then to kind of you know, to try new things to kind of go oh, actually yeah this laser thing yeah tell me more about this laser because yeah you say oh, we can make some money as well and that, that yeah or you can kind of go, well, I bought this laser. Can I, well, I've got to make some money, but, oh, it's not working. Uh, the, I've looked at the manual. The manual doesn't tell me anything because it's been poorly translated or just doesn't cover <laughs> everything. And yeah, all that. But, oh, yeah, there's, yeah. I know Dean, Dean's got a laser. I know he, he can help me out. Or, yeah, Jenny's really knows about 3D printing. Or, and, yeah, I don't think there are many aspects of, making but i couldn't find somebody in within they might not get back to me in 10 minutes but within 10 minutes i could probably find somebody who could find the answer to just about any making problem and probably find half of them are not even based in the uk and i bet a lot of our listeners are, are also thinking yeah but in fairness we'd probably just ask andy or jamie uh, you know <laughs> because of the various connections and things but when I was doing the Illustrator thing earlier, I thought three times about calling Vincent Ferrari and a guy that I've never met, but I met through the online maker community and I knew he'd be able to help me. The only reason I didn't was I'm also stubborn. I'm like, no, you have to figure this out or you'll never you'll never understand why. If you just knew hit control, whatever, you'll never figure this out. And so that's why I suffered through it. But I've, I've had great relationships and uh, connections and I think it's the absolute strength. And it's I think this is one thing i think the maker community has built into it accidentally is humility uh the, mm. by nature if you're going to be a maker in multi-disciplines then you're going to come across humbling moments all the time where you can't figure out why the epoxy is 
not curing and it's sticky or why this joint keeps failing. And you have to go to your community to find that knowledge. And if you go in with a bravado, you're going to be ushered out of the community. At least if you're in my community, we're going to usher you out. Uh, But if you come in with humility and respect and then are willing to also contribute back to where when someone else has a problem with something you've experienced, you're, you're willing to help them out. Uh, you know, I, I've got laser, I've got leather people all the time asking laser questions. And I appreciate that, that, you know, they don't have an experience in that. And I love leather goods. It's one of the things I would love to transition into. I just haven't made the financial commitment yet and in the time to learn all that stuff, but we can talk to one another back and forth about that. So I, I think makers by nature, the community has a level of humility in it. It's funny how I've never met Jimmy DeResta, but that's the one thing you always hear is like how nice he is or how welcoming he is. And I think it's because if you're going to learn to do so many different things, then you've had to go to so many different people and ask yeah. for help and direction. And that just constant reinforcement that there's always someone out there that knows more than you about this one thing. That, that's the reality. I mean, there is always someone who knows more about this one thing than you do. And if you approach it with that humility, I think that makes a stronger community and better friends. Absolutely. I think that's a really good life lesson just in general is that kind of like leaving ego at the door and sort of saying, look, I, I'm going to ask you questions and I know you're, you or somebody else is going to ask me questions in the future. You know, and it's that kind of, it's, it's that, you know, mentality of knowledge wants to be free. You know, it's that, you know, I, 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 I want to learn about this thing and you know about it will you teach me will you answer my questions i do you can ask your knowledge on or... can we talk about community for a little while because andy sure. one thing that's outstanding about andy and i'm assuming jamie's in the same boat is the number of groups you've inserted yourself into i mean you always hear that andy is in every message group every chat group every <laughs> server every facebook page i mean and that's andy he's everywhere most of them most it's, it's a bit of a venn diagram where right the yeah. ones that andy isn't in i'm in and then there's the overlap of everything in the middle and it's it's almost a complete circle but there's little little bits either side yeah the yeah, maker version of a... i'm not in any embroidery ones yeah, yeah jamie isn't either yet no. <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know how to use the machine the uh the the kevin seven degrees of kevin bacon version of making is you know how quickly can you connect yourself to another maker by andy <laughs> uh, so i'm, I'm just curious y'all have so much experience this is something that's been kind of vexing me lately i am again you know brand loyalty to a fault including i only want to contribute to one i was in three different discords and i've kind of removed myself from the other ones and i, I put all my energy into one and what that does is it it limits you know my exposure it limits potential success but i felt like it added to a enrichment uh, however, it feels like lately the group's not what it was that I don't know if we've lost some key members or the, it just feels like the conversation, maybe some of the key members have gotten busier uh, or gone different places, joined other groups. Uh, but it feels like the conversation just quickly divulges into who can make the best pun or snarky comment. It, there's no real attacking of anyone or vitriol, but it, it's definitely not what I think it was a year ago. And so yeah, I'm kind of curious, what are y'all rules? Sort of well, you think that's what it is? You think the honeymoon phase is over? Or what I, are I the suspect part of it? Yeah. Jimmy, what I, are I your think... guidance for being a good community member? How do you build a healthy group? That's a really, really good question. 
because I, I think because Andy and I are um, moderator in uh, a fairly big Discord server, um, and that's something that we've noticed is you know that, that kind of slight change in dynamic, um, yeah, and not in any kind of negative way. It's just that it's it, it's just a change to it. And whether or not it's, you know, the reopening of the world a little bit, because it's all, you know, it, it, it kind of became a big yeah, thing be, when yeah. we all had more time, whereas could now be. people are starting to be there less and less or, you know, going back into the office. So not spending as much time working from home where they can also have Discord going or, you know, things like that. I think it's. It's just changed, and like you say, it's not it's not a negative way. It's not it's not gone toxic. It's just not quite what it once was. It's, it's almost like kind of your circadian rhythm rhythms where you kind of yeah everything kind of goes in cycles. Yeah, and I think sometimes sorts, with with a community, sometimes those cycles will there'll be different cycles within a community because there's different groups of people. And different seasons, whether it's things like, yeah, we've, we've had, yeah, in the last few years, we've had that lockdown. We've yeah. had this global pandemic that meant more people were at home, more people were striving for a community, but weren't able to fulfill any aspect of community. They weren't able to go to work. And yes, it, you know, there's a big difference between kind of being on a, a Slack or a, a Microsoft Teams or something and standing yeah. around the cooler. Yeah, and getting coffee together with somebody else. There's a huge difference with that. And I think things like you know, Discord and you know, so Instagram groups and WhatsApp groups helped to kind of bridge that need for community because we're, you know, we're a community animal. You know, we're a species that desires community. Even those people who kind of are very um, insular, sure introverts actually yeah if you, if you get a bunch of introverts together it can, it just yeah you can't shut them up yeah. right yeah i love that everyone's an yeah. introvert everyone's an introvert yeah. everyone has an undiagnosed disease like no y'all are all normal you're confusing yeah. normal with everyone's normal normal is being nervous are people gonna like me normal is feeling uncomfortable in social situations where you have no control of the thermostat much less the conversation yeah. That's normal. Relax, people. You're just normal. But, yeah, but some people, for some people, strive in those areas as well. And and well, they're on drugs. That, and, but those people <laughs> who they, they needed something to kind of fill it. So we've had this situation where we've we've been able to use technology to create a, a, a peak at a certain time in communities when it was needed, and to sustain those kind of you know, those peaks requires input i mean it grants sort of said yeah you know, sometimes you see you know, a, a community become stagnant when the start input takes a step back mm. and that can be for sort of valid reason. i think that yeah, was they, a knock they, on you maybe I think he was making a jab at you um maybe i um i, I can't <laughs> see those things uh but if you get people taking a step back for whatever reason, whether it's because mm -hmm. they've, they've taken on yeah. a new job. 
maybe they, yeah, maybe they'll explore in other hobbies. Maybe they're in a, a, a relationship, or maybe they're, you know, they've had, you know, family issues. Yeah, their time is spent elsewhere. Yeah, you've got. Yeah, I've. I mean, as some people know, yeah, I've. I've not done as much making in the past fifteen months or so. Yeah, I, I stopped going to my men's shed because of there was a family issue. That family issue is now resolved. I've I've started going back to the men's shed, and I've, um, I'm, yeah, hopefully going to be going to it twice a week, and that's going to mean that I'm going to have access to a workshop that's got more space and it's got tools that I haven't got. And um, yeah, maybe I'll do some woodworking. I mean, at the moment, my time's there's sort of trying to do some organisational things because that's the thing I like to do. And yeah, sorting out tools. They've got too many tools and. Some of them are in a poor state and some of them need to go. Some of them just need to be cleaned up and yeah, need to kind of pester the committee and say, well, yeah, how many number four planes do you need? And yeah, <laughs> All given, of them. How, how many pairs of, how many pairs of combination pliers do we need for a workshop? That's yeah, 20 feet by t 10 feet. Yeah. 200 square feet. How many, how many pairs of combination pliers? How many pairs of side cutters do we actually need? one how every many, five feet yeah how, <laughs> how many socket sets do we need considering there's very little mechanics been happening yeah this is mostly woodworking shop not yeah it's not not an automotive shop but yeah there's there's I'm, I'm sort of going down on a tangent i don't need to, to go down but you know things change people change i'll say this i think jamie hit the primary causal factor and the pandemic I, and i think you know andy you highlighted that too that when you're are back in the office maybe you're saying things to people in person that little things that you used to say in the discord as throw away mm. or just putting them out there for people scratching to talk that to. social itch isn't it yeah like you used to maybe you would say like oh i gotta go buy tires today and that's a you know 15 posts thread on a discord server <laughs> where when you're seeing someone in person you don't think to type the words out i, I could see that too I kind of thought it not a major tie-in, but I would love to. If, I wish there was data to show um, when Instagram stopped focusing on still photos and started trying to push video-style content, whether it be real stories or, or long-form video. When you stop setting up beauty photos of here is my final product, because now nobody wants to see them, so people stop posting them. Their poster video. If I'm going on a Discord server, that's the one thread in, in ours that I find has died, is share your latest whatever. Nobody's mm. posting that beauty shot photo anymore. I don't even take them anymore because I don't feel like there's a landing place for it, so I don't generate it, and then I don't disseminate it. And I wonder if uh, if if that had any small part of it. But y'all are probably right. It's probably a combination of you're getting small interactions. Most, most, thing, most things are always a combination of, of many kind of factors yeah. and inputs. I will yeah. say I disagree a little bit with, I don't think the individual should have anything to do with a healthy community. If you've got 50 people in a group, it, it should not, should not be consequential if someone has something change in their life, because there still should be 49 other people or 40 people or 30 people that the status quo remains intact uh, but i still do feel like the community has slowed down and mm. it, it'd be disheartening to believe that the pandemic um you know shrinking in impact 
uh, could end what I thought was very substantial relationships um, to a point. I don't yeah, know. I think it, it kind of it gave us an opportunity, I think, um, to change things up. You know, if if time sinks in our day to day life suddenly weren't there anymore and we had those opportunities to develop relationships or, you know, become parts of community uh, to then have those other areas of life coming back in, you know, it, by its very nature, it's going to start pushing the most recent thing out generally. Yeah. You know, if, if you've yeah. got those kind of areas of your life that are kind of becoming a norm again, I mean, you know, like, like the push for going back to the office and stuff, folk who've been, you know, office bound, strapped to a desk for 10 years. And then suddenly had a couple of years where they were, you know, Oh, now we are allowed to work from home. So that it's you know allowed more. Freedom I can have from... things open on a screen that I wouldn't be able to in. Yeah, I you know I, environment. I, and, and I freely admit that that's a lot of my day is is exactly that. You know, I I'll have thirty seconds or a minute or so while I, you know a drawing is opening up on on my work machine and it's right next to my home machine because that's the only place I could put my work setup. So it means that you know I can I can turn five degrees in my chair and respond to a couple of messages while the, there's nothing else I can do on my work machine. But in the office, I just have to sit there and wait until it had finished. You know, it's, it's those kind of little extra opportunities that allow a bit of community interaction and allow I, me to, to be in a, two places at once. I bet if we monetize discord, they'd have some real chatty Cathy's jump in though. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I think I think I think it can depend as well on the, the nature of the community. I mean, I'm in a few Discord groups that are huge, and most of them, I there's a few that I'm in. I'm in a 3D printing one. It's got tens of thousands of people in it. Oh wow! Um, and a laser one that's got, I think, somewhere in the five thousand, six thousand. A few other ones that are kind of in the 10, 15, 20, 30,000 people in, and. I mostly keep them muted because there's just too much coming from them. If you got that beeping, literally your phone would be beeping all the time yeah. if you had a notification on. And I've sort of dipped into them either because of the, I'm looking for inspiration or I've looked for answers mm. to something. And that's why I've sort of joined them. And I've, I've just stayed in. I keep it muted. It's an, any other impact on my life, but I know I can then dip back in if I need to. And you kind of look in, but if you look, if you spend a bit of time actually sort of going through the various channels and those, you'll see that in certain channels, the same people are talking all the time. So you've actually got little sub-communities. You've got what might be regarded as a community. I, I don't think it is, yeah, 30,000 people. But then you go into a particular channel and you've got you know, maybe you know, 40 or 50 people, maybe even less, 20 or 30 people who are constantly talking, constantly interacting. And whether that's focused on that particular form of making or whether it's actually yeah, more relationship building those kind of yeah, talking about other things the, the kind of off topic one might say and um, i think i think sometimes in some discords that actually the more people you let in the less of a community it becomes mm. and i think if you've got say a, a, perhaps if you've got like a discord where it's following a, a particular person 
Um, so take like you know, Zach Friedman, just to sort of pull a name. Yeah, he's got Discord, mm. and there's some great information to be found there if you're if you're into the kind of things that Zach Friedman makes. And there are little pockets within that of community, but there's a huge number of people in there. And you kind of look at the sort of more general channels, and it's just like there's no community here. There might be some information put out, but there's there's no actual community. But if you dive into maybe yeah, certain channels, you kind of go, ah, right, that's where the community is. There's there's 20 or 30 people here that are talking there. And I think maybe here yeah, sometimes I think I think all communities, whatever it is, will kind of ebb and flow. And I think the time over which that ebb and flow takes can vary. Yeah, sometimes it's very quick. Sometimes, and this is forgetting about things like the pandemic. I think yeah, you you see, I've been involved in kind of organisations for my entire life. Yeah, outside of the internet. Yeah, a lot of particularly when I was younger, involved in a lot of youth organisations, helping out as a kind of instructor or a leader. And you know, sometimes there would be things would be kind of yeah, just just the way nicely for you know, five or ten years or something and then something will change and it might be change it might be just a maybe almost like a political change it might be actually somebody new joins that kind of you know, just riles people up the wrong way but they're so there's no one particularly when you know when british yeah we don't kind of go oh, leave because you're, you're causing an upstart i mean sometimes that happens but sometimes it doesn't and then people kind of go yeah well i don't like it here anymore and I, maybe I'm just going to stay quietly. Sometimes people go, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to go and go over there. I'm going to find something else to do. And I think that can happen. And it, I think if there isn't perhaps, and it's difficult. You don't want a community where there, there is a leader. But sometimes when there is a, a leader, yeah, whether that's a creator of a Discord or whether that's somebody who's yeah, the person that people have joined the Discord to follow, where they kind of go, this is my Discord. We don't have that sort of talk here. You can leave. Yeah. And that can that can be really, that can help to create a safe space. But then sometimes, you know, if that space has been violated, if you've had a community which had a safe space and people were able to share and then something happens and that, there's a violation of that safety. Sometimes then, even if you've got a leader who's gone, right, you've crossed the line. We don't do that. You're not welcome here anymore. Goodbye. Mm. The people who were there might stay, but maybe the community edge has, has been taken off. It's dumb, and it can maybe take a, it can take a very long time for that to repair. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've brought up so many interesting dynamics in. So, right. You have, a dynamic where a leader establishes a culture and enforces that culture. So then you have a, a healthy discord conversation because a leader is establishing what this conversation would be. And then opposite of that, you have a community without a leader and the members decide which direction it will ebb and flow. And that allows for new blood that allows for new thoughts that allows for different perspectives contrary to a leader that attracts only a certain type of followers and there may be no decision there that may just be going with the flow yeah just things that happen because like jacob I, I know you just told him hello i mean that that's a perfect example of someone who joined in over over the last you know 12 18 months has become a very key part of our discord family yep. 
um, where, you know, 18 months, he was a, a voyeur, but he's become where I would say he's one of the top 10 uh, figures in the group when it comes to number of threads and comments and, and things of that nature. So we have a situation where we are leaderless and we allow the members to dictate. And, you know, it's funny that the Canadian that would be upset if you called him American was just so <laughs> morbid and that for every person that leaves, it's going to die. Uh, and then we've got, you know, that Ohio man to come in and say, or, you know, it allows for fresh blood if it's willing and the culture is there to nurture that. Uh, there's another dynamic you brought up. And this one uh, is very interesting to someone in America. And it's when that bad apple shows up. Is it the community's responsibility to protect the members? Or is it the community's responsibility to educate the dissidents? You know, should you allow, should you run someone off who disagrees with your ideologies? Or should you attempt to have a conversation and come to a common ground? And I do understand that there are some things that aren't polite to talk about. And I don't talk about those things because it's not polite. I, th I think that can go both. I think that can both ways. I can think of an example. I'm not going to get too many details. Jamie, Jamie will be aware of this one uh, because it was a group that we were both in. But somebody joined. Somebody was invited to join. And fairly quickly, they made a joke. And I'm not going to sort of give the nature of the joke or the thing. They made a joke which was crossing a line that was was deemed very it, 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 it was crossing the line that was unacceptable and they crossed the line in that joke that was um it's the group that it, it's 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 very uh adult group it's it's there's plenty of kind of banter uh there's plenty of ban plenty of things where kind of you know, people will come out with jokes that are um I think to 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 summarise the the thing is that it was the kind of joke that you might make with a friend that you've grown up with for twenty years. Yes, but not the kind of joke you, and you walk had a, into a room. Yes, and just say to people you've never met. And it was it was it was a it was a very it was unacceptable. Hmm. And two things could have happened. We could have gone. Well, three things could have happened. Completely ignore it. Say, you've crossed the line, but. They didn't necessarily know existed. Or, or, yeah, there's a member of society actually that should have known existed and, and got kicked out. Mm. Or what the line we took was to go, yeah, we are all adults here, but that was not. That th there's no way in society that is a, that is ever funny. And certainly not when you've just joined a group. And they're like, yeah, well, it, it's providing yeah, okay. context yeah. and and situational yeah. education, isn't it? Yes. Right. So you, you've got a, a dissident that one, you can use that as an opportunity to educate the entire group on, hey, here's mm -hmm. an example of where th this is the subjects that we're focused in and we want to support one another. And when you get outside of these lanes, you're blurring why yeah. we're here. Um, but also everybody who likes it. Now you've identified, you know, 15 enemies behind the line that are also in, in like mind with this person. And you go, OK, so now the class of reeducation is a little larger and we need to do that. I'll say also, I, I'm so when Andy asked me to be on, I was that was one thing I was truly concerned about. Um, I'm not gonna. I have a special way of seeing things and a special way of thinking about things, and I love that. I think it makes me unique. But I do say things sometimes that I don't understand are upsetting, and mm. people are like, "I can't believe you just said that." But you know, at, the faces Austin makes when we record sometimes. 
and I have to cut it up because I didn't realize that that was disturbing or upsetting or unnecessary. But th those kind of questions are, are what gets me to places that other people don't have the capacity to get because they're so worried about feeling sorry for themselves. I, I truly do feel for people who don't have uh, the ability to be proud of themselves or, or to look and appreciate themselves as humans and, and how difficult and unique a situation that is, even though we're, we're all people, your road is, is unique and, and it's hard to, to travel that road. And I feel sorry for people that, that can't appreciate that and take the most of it. And in our house, we don't, we don't celebrate doing what you're supposed to do. We don't celebrate, uh, we don't mm -hmm. feel sorry for things are difficult. You, the, the value is earned through the difficult times, not through the easy processes. And, and that's how we approach things. And, you know, I'm not a millionaire and I'm not, I'm five foot five tall. I mean, I've got some disadvantages, but I don't, I don't know. There's just, I, sometimes I hear people talk and I'm like, it's not that bad. There's just how we said, there's always someone that knows someone more than you. There's someone that has it worse than you always. It doesn't matter yeah. what it is. I mean, whatever excuse you have for not doing what you're supposed to do or, or having done, there's someone who's doing it with your excuse and more. So yeah. you need to stop looking for excuses. And it's all this to say, yeah, accountability. And all this to say is I struggle in the discord sometimes to add content because I, I don't tolerate the phrase good morning. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And I also don't have any appreciation for superlative commentary. If it's your birthday and someone writes happy birthday, I will like that comment. We don't need 47 people saying happy birthday because I'm trying to find the, the post from two days ago with the link I'm looking for. And I got to scroll through 47 people telling you that your parents did something at 33 years and nine months ago that you had no involvement in. So why are we celebrating this? I don't get it. Hey, happy birthday, thumbs up, live your life, enjoy your day. But I'm trying to find that link. So quit clogging the board, you know, um, mm. and the good morning thing. I, I just think how rude you don't know what my day has been like you know, just, and then don't force a good day on me. If I don't want to have a good day, that's for me to decide. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I don't understand where that phrase ever caught on, but I, I do struggle with those things in the discord. And, and I could see how sometimes people say things they don't mean or don't understand because of where they come from or where they learn, but mm -hmm. communities should support and, and educate and, and try to get the best. And then also occasionally call the herd. Uh, we've done that a time or two and, and i love it it's my favorite time of year uh calling the discord herd yeah i've had to do that a few times when i was uh, had that authority don't have it now. <laughs> gandalf does have a speech uh, on that and i send it to some people every now and then i felt like that for a long time but there's a few things that turn me on one is i, I don't understand the, the woman's need for a diamond ring princess diana didn't have a diamond engagement ring why do you think you need one you know, let, let's quit bowing down to marketing. Yeah, I don't understand. Huge sapphire instead. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Huge sapphire. Dream, dream a dream. You know, let's get some <laughs> emeralds in the mix. I don't understand formal dining rooms and homes. You know, this is not mm. the world that our parents grew up in. We watch TV when we eat. Why are we putting formal dining rooms in? What we need are living rooms with seating and, and tables. That's what we or need. Or worse, worse, a cabinet full of crockery. That only gets used once a year. Oh, come on. Yeah. What are we doing? What are we doing? And then it's not even Thanksgiving. Well, y'all don't have Thanksgiving. That's not even Christmas at your house this year. So it doesn't get touched this year until next year. 
and you're going to spend more time polishing the silver than you're going to spend eating off of it. Um, I don't understand any of those things. The the one that's been getting me lately, and it's it's a, I have these things I try to focus on. I'm trying not to say so so much. I got told today I say um too much. So I'm working on those things. I also am, I told Andy this was something I'd love to get your perspectives on. I I can't stand the word best. I can't stand when someone's like, oh, they are the best. This is the best because perspective is so ranging. It can be good. This can be one of the greatest things I've ever seen, but it doesn't. Why do we have this desire to focus on the best? Because what it does is it illegitimizes so many other options and efforts. Yeah. You know, if, if all we focus on is the best, uh, I don't know. I, I, I can't stand that for I, I think that's the out. thing is, like you say, it's, it's something that's in a, in a subjective definition when you've got a, such a massive population across the globe that's so hugely wildly diverse in understanding viewpoint upbringing education background the lot of it yeah okay maybe there is you know the best moonlander that carried neil armstrong that is it, yeah, yeah. it's also the worst well yeah it is <laughs> yeah. exactly that <laughs> you know it's something that is you know and it wasn't categorically Canadian. A thing that you can define as the best but because that, that's one of the things that annoys me as well of you know conversationally when it is something that is very definitely subjective you know it's it's instead of someone saying you know in my experience and understanding this has been the most useful tool i've had totally fair to say sure i've had a good experience with here is the tool. thing out of out of the 10 of these other ones that i've used this has been the one that's performed the best this is the one that i would recommend totally valid conversation to have but to say no this is the best doesn't give any context it doesn't give any other information and it isn't taking into account anything other than your experience of it so you can't categorize it as the best unless you also add in the other words around it, like the best out of all of these other things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if so y'all change it's, the it's, thumbnail to this podcast and we all make this face and then it says the best <laughs> maker's waffle episode ever. Yeah. You'd get more listens because people are broken. It's not the yeah, best. Absolutely. You, know, you might have shit speakers and it's the worst thing you've ever heard. I don't know. You know, you may not yeah. understand what I'm saying. People that I know may not understand what y'all are saying. I don't know. Um, I, I just, I, I'm going to start trying to say, uh, just strictly, I really appreciate this. And so it gets mm. across that I can appreciate 50 things. None of them have to be better than the other. I just appreciate them for what they are and, and what they do for me. So that's going to be my, I'm trying to switch that out in my vocabulary from the best to, I really appreciate this effort or, or this item. I think, I think it's a very, a very key thing though. It's the active use of your own vocabulary it's it's making a decision in the words that you use rather than habitual use of phrases and i think that's something that we're all very very guilty of doing it's just becoming habitual users of certain phrases and i know that I, i'm super guilty of that as well for certain things that that i know i need to try and rein in my use of i think we're seeing some of that because the the nature of how people perceive 
the algorithm of on YouTube. Yeah, they, mm. they like you say that the people go in, yeah, and yeah, the best, and yeah, it's the big kind of yeah, the clickbait type titles. Yeah, this is the best. Yeah, this is the best drill. Oh yeah, till the next company gives me one, and then that'll be the best drill. And I think there's there's, there's a, a, a sort of a dishonesty there, where mm. you kind of yeah yeah you're saying that's the best because you've just been paid by that company whether that's just by free tools or whether it's actually you know there's a monetary exchange to say that this is a, a really good thing because we're just using you as an advert yeah um i have problems with the word expert have had for a very very long time yeah particularly when people are self-proclaimed experts I think it's okay to say, oh, that person has expertise in that area. But so often I've seen people who kind of claim to be the experts and they're... I mean, why can't they just be perts? Yeah. It's 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 my way or there's no other way. Yeah, it, it has to be done this way. It can't be done some other way. It's, yeah, I whatever I say is the right way of doing it. There is no other way. Yeah, they're often sort of, yeah, they're that gatekeeping or just uh, i saw it so many times in education where you get kind of people coming in and saying yeah i am the expert on this and you will do it this way and go well yeah that, that doesn't work with this particular group of young people and doing this particular subject and you're not actually got experience of teaching this subject missing that bit of nuance or context yeah so often and I, I, yeah, Jamie, I think this. Can you explain the 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 perts joke? Are you referring just to the prefix of X, meaning yeah. former perts? <laughs> so that's what I thought you meant. I, it made me laugh, and, and this is lewd, but you know, y'all can kick me out the Discord later. Uh, my wife and I love the phrase prevert, and so meaning like someone <laughs> that just looking at them, they might not be a pervert yet, but it's going to happen. They are a prevert. I and, like that. I'm stealing yeah, that. We use it all the time. <laughs> Look at this prevert over here. <laughs> Up to no good. So we'll do it randomly. Like we're driving and there's just someone walking down the street. And there's nothing unique about this person. They're just walking down the street. And I'm always, Look at this prevert. Up to no good. Looking for houses to stare in the window. <laughs> That'll become a word now. What is a word? It already has become a word. It's Yeah. Really, if we can get, get it enough, in, yeah, into yeah. Uh, common usage, you'll get in the dictionary. But y'all will add a couple of U's to it. <laughs> Unquestionably. Well, yeah, P-R-E-V-U-R-T. Prefert. All right, we're just going to do E-R-T. <laughs> Put Z in there. Why not? <laughs> That's been the most fun part is hearing, like, uh, not, is that what you say for zero? Yeah, we say zero, yeah. we say naught. Yeah. But when you were telling the story, naught and then the Z, and uh, there was another one, it wasn't aluminum. There was another word where you changed out one of the you have a different orientation of the vowels. I, I should have wrote it down, but that's been fun to like pick up on all the, the differences. And, and then again, I'm from the southern United States, so uh, dictionaries are optional here. I, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Is that they there's so many linguistic choices, you know, for for 
accents across uh, the US anyway, you know, and yeah. the same for the UK. We, you know, we've probably got as many, if not more, different accents. But in a in much a tighter tiny, geography, tiny yeah. Yeah. It, it, my family went to, on, my immediate family, my wife and kids went on holiday without me a couple of years ago to, the, the, I'll just say the north. I won't be more specific than the far north, uh, but not Scotland. Uh, and when they came back, my youngest was like, didn't understand what anyone was saying. <laughs> the accents were just so strong. Yes, so yeah, strong. It's a very, it's a very, it's a very strong accent, and it's yeah, their their use of language and how they use it was so different. There's a network here, the Discovery Channel. Do y'all have that? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and there was a show in the Discovery yeah. Channel called uh, Swamp People. Did that air across the pond? That rings a bell. So Swamp know. People was a, a group of folks that would hunt alligators. So they'd farm wild alligators, so hunt alligators uh, to mm. harvest for meat and hides. But they're they're from where I'm from, and they have an extremely thick accent and unique dialect. And so I know I have a, some words I say funny or, or say different. I, I've always had just a few little nuances. And but my wife was always amazed, at like, why don't you? why don't you talk like that like where they're from and i think it was tv like we just watched so much tv growing up a lot of words i, I learned listening to someone else say them that was a just very generic american accent uh mm. and i i'm sure i have i'm definitely speak a little different than you guys but i know you understand everything i'm saying uh, maybe i need to slow it down a little bit but i know y'all are right there with me but they're definitely people from just a few miles away that they have words you've never heard before and yeah. and say things that you're like oh man you've got to say that again well i mean it, even sort of geographically in the uk like andy says about the further north we get in england you know it's it's not a big country at all um smaller than texas but, yeah well yeah it is yeah i looked it but, up though uh, london i wanted to know if texas had more people than england and it doesn't uh london was i thought for sure we could take london i think we i didn't maybe i just looked at england england has more people than texas which i thought it might be close but it wasn't close at all i think y'all had a threefold um dense I think, population I think, yeah i think uh the uk has got a third of the population of the u the us i think yeah and so texas has yeah, a, about 70 70 yeah that sounds about right and texas is like 35 million texas has houston which is the third largest fourth largest city in the country but on the heels of chicago and then dallas which is fifth and then austin and san antonio are both in the top 10. so four of the 10 largest cities in the u.s are all in texas um mm. and it's it has a booming population uh it's a, it's a crazy state because when you think texas over there and i'm just assuming you think wild west and boots and and six shooters and pickup trucks and i have boots yeah. and i have a cowboy hat right there and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't have a pickup truck, but that's my choice. Uh, I had one, but they steal the tailgates, and I, I had to get rid of that. But Houston, particularly, is, is the most diverse city in the United States, population-wise. Like, population, because there is a gigantic Hispanic population, obviously. But there's a very large uh, Indian and Asian population in, in Houston as well. Okay. Very, very large. I mean, to entire sections of the city. Uh, the, the street signs are even in Chinese in that part of the city. Uh, just, but 
just huge population. And then obviously you just have this giant Latin wave coming into Texas. And so the population is, it's unbelievable. I've been here 10 years and there are parts of the city that had nothing that we went to that Halloween party 10 years ago. There were no houses there. And now it's mm. gigantic neighborhoods just full of people. Um, it's, it's crazy how fast the area grows. I, I, do y'all see that kind of population change over there? Or is every acre already bought up? No, it's, 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 I mean, I, the village I'm in, yeah, it's population of a thousand when we arrived 13 years ago. And yeah, we've seen yeah, quite, a, there's quite a few, there's, there's three and there's going to be a fourth housing estate. Actually, they'll make that five housing estates, just small ones built up. We're not talking huge numbers. But every 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 village surrounding and every town surrounding us, uh, the big the, the nearest town, so seven miles east of us, have built in the last five years, something like five thousand houses. Uh, population has almost doubled. Yeah. In the since we've been there, that that town. Um, and it's just the whole of, I mean, I, I'm in the Southeast, I'm in Kent, yeah, South of London. It's just the population of London is, is moving out. Uh, there isn't enough housing in London. The number of people that are going in and the prices are stupid. So people are moving out and they, you know, they can sell up with relatives who'd lived in London for 30, 40 years, sold up a, a house that they finished their mortgage on many years ago, uh, bought it for 60,000 and sold it for 800. So yeah, they've, they've now bought a nice big four bedroom house on the coast, sea views and big, huge garden, uh, and plenty of money to spare. Yeah. And that's, that's not uncommon. A lot of people, you know, the, the availability of housing for locals in many parts of the UK is, is, it's very very difficult if you're if you're not of money trying to actually buy a house where you grew up can be impossible cornwall for example which is right down the sort of the bottom corner um you know closest to america the little the little foot yeah that a huge swathe of people in cornwall cannot afford to buy a house even though they're cornish their parents are cornish their grandparents are cornish they can't afford to buy houses because so many people like living in Cornwall, and particularly with the pandemic, huge parts of the country, which previously been very cheap, suddenly people were going, oh, I don't want to live in London at the moment because there's this mm. plague and I can afford to buy a house in Cornwall, or Wales or Yorkshire, where it's very remote. And I can do that with, with almost pocket money for some people. Uh, or I can sell up in London uh, move out because I can. My job actually been proven now. My job can be done remotely, and I can live in a part of the UK which is really nice. Has countryside, not too busy, and my kids can have clean air and mm. get away from sort of the smog of London. And I can have money in the bank, and I can have yeah, Range Rover, and yeah, I can yeah, probably pay somebody to yeah do a bit of gardening for me as in you know, every day of the week, have somebody doing some gardening and looking after some, we'll get some pigs and some sheep. So yeah, we can, we can 
pretend to be a bit of a farm and people have been doing that and or just buying up small places or cottages and turning them into airbnbs and people can't afford to buy it so in in texas we don't pay income tax and i know tax is a sensitive subject between americans and brits but we do not pay income tax in texas uh, so what we pay is property taxes and your property value changes every year depending on what the tax assessor says it is and they use they have a sort of scientific way of looking at what houses sell for but what they'll do is they look at what a brand new two-story four thousand square foot house sells for and then go okay here's our new price per square footage and we're going to attach that to your 70 year old home and your your value goes up we moved in this house in 2011 we paid uh $200,000 for the house which was double our budget but i like the area and i thought we could make it work and so we we bought this house and this is where we're at the house next door to me sold during the pandemic for 1.4 million dollars because my neighborhood has deed restrictions that don't allow you to build more than two stories up so in the rest of the city they tear down two houses and they build eight condos in its place and it's extremely lucrative mm. well you can't do that here and so it makes the land crazy valuable because it's it's the last little pocket where you can have a traditional house with a backyard and a pool and the people who have the means to buy that piece of land are willing to do it and so i told my wife i was like we need to get out of here in any way i want a bigger shop let's get out of the city and and get a i wanted i was like let's get a farm or at least 10 acres if we can swing it when we began to talk about it properties were twenty-five thousand dollars an acre which i thought was a lot when we were ready to make a move in less than a year they were selling for ninety thousand dollars an acre in a year it, yeah. it just and that's just for land that's no house no nothing and then i go well they're going to tax us on that value too so what's the point yeah. of leaving because they're going to take all their taxes up there too so it's it's wild what i don't know where all this money came from but yeah it's crazy i was just looking at um when you're talking about sort of population growth and stuff the the little kind of town that i'm in it's sixty thousand population where's it geographically um, i know where ken is because i've looked that up before talking to andy what part of england it's sort of smack bang in the middle it, it's okay. about about 20 minutes well, no it's about an hour east of birmingham okay um we have a birmingham in alabama yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah it's about an hour east of alabama um <laughs> the by it, iss it, yeah yeah I, I teleporters but um it, it's not a particularly big town but it's it's an old town um it used to be tanneries and shoemaking and things like that and the the population's only changed about five thousand per decade over the last 20 years from the data i've got here um but the surrounding areas where it is lots of farmland or small villages and things like that they've grown exponentially because it's just been that super lucrative place you know we're far enough away from uh from london or any other big city that you know the, the kind of the industry isn't there but the train network like mm. i can i can get into the central london in an hour 
from a train. Yeah, that's perfect. One, it's it's one straight through train from five minutes down the road into London city centre, and that has driven the prices up massively for the housing. And that that seen as a reasonable change. commute to London. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I've 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 had commutes where I've driven for more than an hour each way. Isn't that crazy? If, so when I grew up, the town I grew up in, I think we had thirteen thousand people in the town. And if you wanted to go to a restaurant that wasn't in that town, you had to drive to the next big town over, which was 30, 45,000 people. And it was a 30 minute drive. And that was insurmountable. You would never, I'm going to drive 30 minutes to go eat. Have you lost your mind? It takes yeah. 15 minutes just to get out of my neighborhood now. And you don't think a second about, oh, I need a tool. I'm going to get in the car and drive 45 minutes and listen to the radio and buy this tool and then drive 45 you don't think a second about it because you're in this urban area the whole time it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's a big deal it's yeah. crazy how that changes yeah it, it's i think it's, i mean for us we we've seen the change in and the, the plans that we see being proposed and actually going ahead to extend that town that's seven miles to the east of us, give it another twenty years, we would just we'll just be a suburb of that town. Yeah. yeah. Now there are there's some farmland in between, and some of that farmland will stay. But yeah, there'll be there'll be corridors of farmland, and there'll be yeah the the, the road that joins us to that town will have more houses either side of it. They're already building out. There's plans for a a, a school and a bunch of other things that are going to bring it you know, another mile or so closer to us. Our own verge is extending, no doubt. You know, people get to a point where they go, yeah, I've got I've got this field here and I can sell this field to someone for a, a million pounds and they will build 10, 15, 20 properties on that field, mm -hmm. which will sell each for, you know, There'll be three or four affordable ones at yeah, 300,000, even though it's not strictly affordable for many people. And there'll be a bunch more going kind of here, 400, 500, 600,000. And so, yeah, the, 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 the property developers will be making, yeah, maybe, yeah, 10 or 15 million by the yeah. time that's, they've. That's the, built. The, the kind of the trend at the minute over here. Is for any plot of land that goes up for sale a lot of the time people are buying the land and then they get uh planning permission basically for it so it might be some farmland they'll they'll spend a couple of grand to to basically get the certificate that says you can yeah. now build stuff on this yeah for the city to say it's okay to change the designation yeah, yeah. and then they'll resell it so houston is notorious there's no deed restrictions so you could buy the house next to me and put a cement plant there and outside mm. of just civil up upheaval there's nothing you could really do about it there's no restrictions on that but the the process that's going on here in the states is any affordable housing when the interest rates were so low i assume our banking systems are tied pretty close together when the interest rates were so low 2018 2019 early 2020 and money was cheap, whatever that means. These companies with access to financing would go and buy any property, $150,000 or below, buy them and turn them into rental properties. 
And then they can artificially increase the values by changing the rents on those properties. So if you want to buy a home, they've artificially increased the baseline entry level home price because anything below a certain threshold, 300,000, 400,000 is a rental property. And there, there's no control you have over it. And it's not me buying it as an investment. It's someone that I've, you know, that doesn't even live here, but that saw it as an investment opportunity and, and they're making money off of it. It's a terrifying trend for someone that just doesn't have a lot of money. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a, there's a really frightening trend at the moment um, in the UK, like as Andy was talking about with the property developers and stuff is the, because of the scarcity of, uh, of housing in that sense in the UK and the, the population density and growth, um, what, what's tended to happen in a lot of these new housing estates in the kind of the, just outside of the towns and things, is they're building these kind of premium economy homes so families who've who've started on the property ladder with a, a relatively inexpensive home they've added value to it by doing it up or extending or you know whatever they've done to increase the value so all these developers are now making their kind of next generation and up up level of homes that are twice the price of the, the the first time buyers home so these people are going well i can't make the, the jump to the really big fancy house but i still want a cheap enough house that's bigger and nicer and fancier so they're adding these kind of mid mid-level jumps where someone might have stayed an extra 10 years in their home but now they'll make a jump sooner and become more in debt to get the next the next size up or the next quality level up of house that's not really actually any any better for them my wife's parents bought their house in 1968 and it's the same house they've lived in since 1968 and my parents moved because of a hurricane into their house in 1992 and it's the same house they've lived in since 1992 which i mean that's 30 years when did it become like just trade up trade up trade up trade up mentality just continuation yeah. of a mortgage you know how freeing it is not to have a mortgage? I can buy any tool I want, not because I'm wealthy, but because the bank's not getting money from me every month. Yeah. So I had I only have about 15 minutes left in me, but I had a question I wanted to ask y'all. Are your families from the United Kingdom, just from all the way back? Was there any migration or, or anything involved in, you think, how you got to the seat you're in now? Yeah. Because, I mean, as an American, obviously, as a white American, you know, someone came over here at some time. Uh, yeah. the, you can tell from my last name, my dad's family was from France, but my mom's family was from Wales. Uh, and, and they came over in the mid-1800s. Uh, they came over to, it actually, to Texas. Uh, they, like Kentucky and then Texas. But I always wonder, the people in Europe, how much of the migration is there? Because at least you can drive from place to place. I mean, it's a real commitment to get yeah, I mean, here. huge amount. I mean, if you go back far enough, yeah, I mean, the, the, the impact that the, the Romans and the, the, the Vikings and the, the other Norse had on sort of populations, you know, William the Conqueror has, mm -hmm. has a lot to answer for. Um, but certainly within kind of various aspects of my family, and I think my personal, personal family, um, of what I know, don't know much about my dad's side because he was adopted, but certainly my uh, mother's side, supposedly there's a French 
smuggler stroke pirate at some point. That's fine. Um, my wife's family, uh, if you take back on the maternal side, uh, there's quite a few, there's a kind of Eastern European, um, and some of that kind of, you know, migration actually kind of post World War One. Yeah. Um, and kind of the persecution of the Jews. Um, her paternal family, I think, from what I know, which isn't a huge amount, I think predominantly sort of British English. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, th- I think there's an awful lot. If you if you kind of look at particularly the, the work that some of these DNA testing companies have done, uh, if you look at the more reliable ones, the, the amount of merging of yeah different cultures, the genetic point of view, is huge. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I've I've done those. I've done a one of the DNA test things, and it, it is predominantly English for me. Um, there is some elements from Germany and from Scandinavia and uh, a couple of other places. I forget now. A few years ago, I did it, but um, we've traced our family tree quite a way back. Um, and the, the reader name for us was actually originally down in sort of where, where Andy is in that kind of Kent region. Um, and that's that came up to, to Liverpool, which is where I'm from in the in the northwest. And the the this, like history of the of the name being right down in the far east, but then the last few hundred years of uh of reader family being uh in and around that kind of northwest area in the, the kind of the Liverpool area. So like I know from from family kind of uh you know kind of tracing the lineage it's it's very very kind of northwest england based for me for the majority it's fascinating just the way that uh inheritance worked that you would have Mm. a second or third child or a a daughter and and there was nothing there for them so they'd have to go where there was opportunity and that's how you know my people got here was the oldest son inherited everything so the three younger brothers came to kentucky on a, a land grant and then work their way to Texas on another land grant. And Texas is rife with German heritage. There's so many uh, Germanic folks that came over uh, actually pre-World War One, but just looking for opportunity. Um, and th- it's just, I don't know, it's all crazy how we all end up where we are and how someone's yeah. decision hundreds and hundreds of years ago led to the mm-hmm. seat you're sitting in or, or your even existence. It's yeah. mind-blowing. It is totally. Absolutely. It's crazy, yeah. As you only got a little bit of time left, don't want to do it towards the end of the show. I always ask what's been grabbing people's attention, uh, which can be videos, projects gone, going towards, uh, it can be books, it can be absolutely anything. So what's been grabbing your attention lately? Yeah, I thought about this. You know, there was a few ways I wanted to go. Uh, obviously, Maker Camp just happened here in, in New York, uh, in, in America, uh, or as I like to call it, Little Durestaville. And so <laughs> that just happened and, and there were hundreds and hundreds of people and it's a huge production. But what I'm looking forward to is this next upcoming weekend. So this time next week, I will be at what uh, we affectionately call Austin camp. And so our friend Austin Saunders, the high caliber craftsman, he's in our discord with Andy. He is generous enough to allow uh, 20 or so of us to come to his house 
and use his tools and do a bit of blacksmithing and fellowship and enjoy each other's company. We do a hashtag high caliber, uh, high caliber camp. And if you want to follow along, there'll be lots of videos, lots of YouTube, lots of Instagram posts, uh, lots of stories from the goings and comings of that. And what's really crazy is the first one, you know, Austin opened his house. He doesn't know any of these people outside of <laughs> meeting them on a discord yeah. during the pandemic. And we all came together and there was, there was none of that awkwardness because we'd had so many conversations with one another via text or video mm -hmm. call. And so it was really amazing to finally get together and, and truly see uh, some people who are just extremely talented and, and some people that uh, have just different approaches to different skills. And it, it was very enjoyable. And so I'm looking forward to Austin camp this upcoming weekend. It's, awesome. I mean, watching it last year and, and seeing the amount of preparation and obviously kind of having the inside loop on the Discord, the, the map preparation that Austin has put into preparing for the camp for a yeah. second time. It's I, just, I mean, it's just absolutely, I mean, the generosity and the, the effort is brilliant. It's just. And that's it. If I can oh, ramble yeah. for a minute, I mean, if you have a group of friends, you could do this too. We're unique in that we're blessed with Austin who has the surplus of tools and the generosity to not only let us come to his house, but really invest in a financial commitment. So if you ever were wanting to do something like this or, or get together, it just takes effort and it takes money. And you can't mm -hmm. take advantage of the people willing to be generous with their time, supplies, equipment, real estate, and money. So make sure that you're, you're going to take care of those people. You're engaged in the planning process. You have a full comprehension of what the costs are going to be so that you're willing to pay your part uh, and, and be mm. accountable. And if you're willing to do all those things, you'll leave with a really special memory. Uh, one of the yeah. highlights for me is on, we, we kind of identified that Austin needed some time with his kids and his family because it is his house. So on the Saturday, we kind of shut it down five o'clock, go to dinner. And when we get back from dinner, Austin went, tucked the boys in and the rest of us went into the shop and did a gift exchange. So kind of like they do the maker swap and, and or like the fools with tools treasure trade. Uh, it's just we make one of something for everyone. So it's not, you know, necessarily your best nice. artwork, but you make 15, 20, however many people are coming of an item. And then you all exchange. And what you leave with is you made 20 of one thing and you put forth that it's almost one of these like pyramid schemes. You made 20 of one things and you've got a process down. You've got a discount on bulk supplies. You got it down by the fifth or sixth or eighth one. So the last ones went faster. And so you put this in and then you get back 20 unique items. And so it yeah. really did have a multiplier effect. Uh, it was, it was neat to see. It was fun to get the stuff from everybody. Uh, and then obviously, you know, we gave stuff to Austin last year. The big project was we did kitchen cleavers. So we blacksmith kitchen cleavers. I'd never made a knife. I'd never done blacksmithing. And Austin and his dad were there to you know, show us what to do. Uh, it was a whole lot of fun. We did. I never bought a wood lathe. I didn't understand the purpose. Why do, why do I want a machine that only makes things round? That makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but so we turned the handles for our knives and I was hooked. So instead of spending more time on my knife, I asked one of the uh, Austin's dad had a friend there, Steve. Uh, Steve is a school teacher but he also is a wood turner. And so I asked Steve, would you show me how to turn a bowl? And he had a scrap piece of cherry and we started turning and it blew out the bottom. He didn't realize there was actually a void on the other side. So what I ended up with was a ring, not a bowl. And I brought this ring home. I was like, this can't be the end of this half bowl story. 
and I went and bought a wood lathe and I bought turning tools and I glued another piece of wood on the bottom of it. Probably some purple heart I got from a pallet. Glued it on the bottom <laughs> and I finished Don't turning work. the bowl. And it's one of my, uh, it was, I was so excited, like a bowl, a round object. I was so excited. And the wood lathe is one of the tools I get the most enjoyment out of now. I made my mama a really big bowl for Christmas. Uh, my trade item this year is I did automatic um, uh, spring loaded punches. So uh, marking uh, punches. So you yeah. want to mark a spot for, okay. That's so I bought, yeah. yeah, I bought, you know, $5 Amazon or whatever they are, but I bought 35 of them. And then I turn Spectraply knobs on the ends to decorate them up. And some of them I painted and did other things to them. And I think you're going to leave with a bespoke item that's probably $25 retail. But I spent time and effort and, and made these things. And I got really good response to those. I think it might be a product I offer in the future, judging from that. I'm always extra. My love language is giving. And so also I bought exacto uh, knives made from anodized aluminum and i put them on the fiber laser and i engraved the camp logo on the on the oh, uh, handle of the thing and i put my logo on the opposite end and then also i made some wax canvas bags so i really i've always wanted to make a wax canvas bag i'd made one before but the canvas was pre-waxed and so this time i wanted to do it from you know beginning to end and i ordered some canvas and stitched up 30 bags and then made a double boiler and heated up some wax and waxed the bags. It was, it was so enjoyable. It was so much fun to make and liberating to know this is another skill. Now I, I would feel confident yeah. that this is something I could produce and sell and, and people would enjoy. So those are the, but all that, all that I just said comes from Austin saying, Hey, what would y'all think about coming to my house, camping in the yard? We're sleeping in tents in the yard and, uh, and doing this camp. And it's, it's more than just Austin. It's his dad who's doing given time and instruction and setting up just the setup. They they take weeks away from normal productions. Yeah. yeah, setting up. They put a cover over the blacksmith area. They ran power so that you'd have lights and radio and internet. They built a shower outside so when you're sleeping in the yard, you've got a place to go shower. This year we're forging tomahawks, throwing tomahawks, oh, nice. um, and so that's something you know. I'm native to America. I don't I don't know if y'all ever had tomahawks over there. Y'all probably went straight to the uh, bayonets, but <laughs> we're uh, we're forging tomahawks and his him and his dad built a target. So we're going to do a, a tomahawk challenge. The Adobe project nice. I was working on before this is I'm doing belt buckles with the camp logo and it's going to have prizes. So, you know, dead eye will be the one who throws and hits the target. And then I'll have different categories, maybe best looking, probably worst one. And I'll probably do one for the one that breaks first. And so you'll have like this little memento to take home as a reward. Um, but I saw Christy comment it uh, and Tony. So Griff's going, Tony's going, Christy's going. They're all bringing wonderful items, but most of all, they're bringing themselves. And we're going to have just a great time getting to be around one another. And so if anybody's listening, it, it just takes a few people to commit and say, hey, this weekend yeah. we make, I do this. You know, I do. Dave Bauer just did a, a thing at Maker Camp where it was uh, stamps carved rubber stamps and that is a perfect example of something that's approachable it's financially attainable you can buy 10 mm -hmm. of those get five of your buddies over get a case of beer y'all each carve two stamps and then and you have an enjoyable evening together that doesn't involve you know too much gambling or, or other vices so i i encourage anyone with a, a skill or hobby be willing to share it because 
not only may you expose someone to something that they take off and run with, but you may also learn something from someone that, that yeah. comes and visits. So uh, hashtag high caliber camp is one to follow if you're on the Instagram. And any if you comment to me, I'll definitely write back every time. So if you I'll want to it, I'll stick it in the show notes. Well, yeah. I'll, put, mm. I'll, I'll stick it in the, um, the Instagram post when it goes up probably tomorrow so that people can sort of find it and follow it if they want. Yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing the... It's, yeah, watching it last year was just great. and Yeah. It's a shame I'm several thousand miles away because I'd love to go. <laughs> Jamie, what's been, uh, what's been grabbing your attention this week? Uh, nothing of any real note. We've been doing little bits and bobs of trying to organise a workshop and stuff like that, but nothing of any real note has been grabbing my attention other than the, the croakiness in the voice of being uh, slightly yeah. under the weather. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, great on that one. How about you, Andy? I know you've got some fun stuff to talk about. Well, two, th two things uh, this week. Uh, first one, actually, on a uh, slight callback to something that Dean said. Uh, for those who've been involved in the Fools of Tools treasure trade in the past, uh, you need to be signing up for the Fools of Tools trinket trade that's going to be happening uh, mm -hmm. this uh, this time. Uh, you've got a couple more days uh, I think nineteenth. Uh, Wednesday the nineteenth. Yeah, Wednesday the nineteenth. The sign up closes. Um, just as something small, something that it's, fits in yeah, it's a small. It's we're, we're shifting the treasure trade. Uh, I yeah. say we, uh, part of the Jamie and I, part of the kind of organising committee. Um, we're shifting the main treasure trade this year. to earlier in or later in the spring. Early late spring, early summer, twenty twenty three. So there's less pressure in terms of things like Christmas, yeah. particularly for those people who make professionally and are trying to sort of build up to the holiday seasons, Christmas season, Thanksgiving, and and all those things that take up a lot of time and effort. So we make it small, something small um, that's easy to make, easy to post, maybe not quite as personalised as the the main one is. Um, so more details on the, the Facebook page or you know, drop. Drop me or Jamie a line if you if you're not on Facebook and you want no more information, sign up for that. Uh, but the other one, the Jamie, probably the one Jamie was referred to. I spent today on my first ever leather working course. Oh, I made a notebook cover. It looks really good. To finish, um, and I'm rather pleased with it. It's not perfect. I can see the faults, but actually, for a first go at leather working, uh, nice little field notebook type sort of cover. Uh, I like it. It may be the, yeah, I may have fallen it into a rabbit hole. Yep. Uh, I suspect there'll be some more. I've got most things anyway, knives, cutting mats, but there may be a few leather-specific tools heading my way um, yep. shortly. So And some leather. Love a good leather project. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was good fun. It was in a nice little place, converted barn, and it was full of old stuff, and there were kind of autumn wreaths, Kind of hanging up in the place, and yeah, nice. a farm cat and dog came came in and sort of wandered around. And uh, it, it, there were only there were five of us plus the instructor. It was yeah, perfect numbers. The weather was perfect. It wasn't too hot, too cold. There's a long burner going most of the day as well, and it was just it was just a nice, relaxed day, not too rushed. Yeah, Sounds although there was kind good. of a yeah, I left before anyone else because I'd finished. Uh, other people just get, yeah, just kept going for a while because they hadn't quite finished. And that was, yeah, it, it was just nice. It was just so relaxing. And I've got something, I've got a new hobby and I've got something that I'm going to carry <laughs> with me every day. 
Yeah. But what's he? Are you going to give that? You could give that away to someone. Oh, you, you, no, I'm. It's not going on the shelf either. This is going to go in my pocket every day when I'm out and about. This is going to get carried, and I want to get that patina going on it. I want that to get worn, and yeah. And it's it's the genesis of the next ten of them that you make and give out to people. Yeah, yeah. and it's just yeah, just another making rabbit hole. Dean, where can people find you if they wish to know more about you and want to see some of your work? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Dean underscore Duplantis. Uh, just my first and last name with an underscore between. I figured if it was good enough for Duresta, it's good enough for me too. Uh, I do have some YouTube videos. I'm not really prolific on there. And if I post one, I will post it on Instagram. So that's the best place to reach me. Oh, uh, also, I'm sorry if it's okay. Uh, we do have a podcast, the Making Our Way podcast. Uh, myself, Christy from Twisted Twine Woodworking, and Austin from High Caliber Craftsman. We release on Tuesdays. Um, mainly, we're very topic-focused uh, on one maker and a project uh, with a little uh, sprinkled in. So if uh, you've got room in the hundreds and hundreds of podcasts in your backlog, we'd love to have you added onto your roster. I would, I, I would recommend it. It, it. I find it... There are... Although, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I have about 120 podcasts in my kind of sort of listening list. But there are probably a dozen or so that I will always try and keep up to date and I always listen to. And Making Our Way is definitely on that list. We appreciate that. that. It's always, yeah, it's always, Tuesday. It's a, it's a good day because that comes out on a Tuesday. I clamp on Monday, get Making Our Way on Tuesday. And, yeah, Jamie, nice don't to listen to it. You, you've got enough going on. Don't burden yourself. It's not worth it. Yeah, I was going to say. It, you'll get a rabbit hole. It's like Game of Thrones. You listen to one, you're going to listen to all of them. It's, you don't have the time for that. Because it, it's already it's in my feed, and the numbers keep just going up along with the <laughs> I think the beauty of it, though, I think the beauty of it is that if someone wants to, if someone sees a name and they think, oh, I've heard of that person. I want to know a little I, bit more. I really it's a nice doing, one to yeah. kind of be able to dip into where some i think some podcasts you've got to kind of listen to them all right but i think there's some i think there's certain podcasts where if you don't want to listen to them all yeah you don't like the guests you it, can yeah you yeah. can and you can always kind of skip the guest and just go to the kind of the yeah the, the start and the end but you, you have a very definite sort of pattern to that and i think yeah that, that's nice i think it's i think it's I think it's unique in in the maker community podcast how you've approached it. I, I, I like that. Yeah, we've heard that, and and that's reaffirming. So I really like that. Thank you. Right, Ian, it's I been think an absolute pleasure to have you. you too. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. So, indeed. Bye. Goodbye, folks.